Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com. Customer always right. The Times Union reported this morning that a local Home Depot employee was fired after what he considers some pretty nasty verbal abuse from a customer. This was a 60-year-old black man who says the abuse was racist and unlike anything he'd ever experienced. And tonight, he's still shocked he was fired over it. Yeah. When Maurice Rucker was working at the Albany Home Depot last Thursday, a customer approached the checkout with an unleashed dog. So Maurice tried to be a good employee. I said to him, I said, sir. When you have your dog in here, we prefer that you keep it on a leash. He turned around and said, F you, you're a, you're a piece of Maurice was understandably shocked, but it was just the start of a barrage of insults, some of them racist. He says if, uh, if Trump wasn't president, you wouldn't even have a job. Like, I've worked, and he said, you're from the ghetto, what do you know? I've lived all over the country, and I've had no one talk to me the way that this guy talked to me. Finally, Maurice couldn't help but say something to him. You're lucky I'm at work because if I wasn't, this wouldn't be happening or you wouldn't be talking to me like this. The man left, then came back because he forgot his dog, insulted Maurice again, and was gone. That incident with the customer happened last Thursday, and when Maurice responded to work this Tuesday, he was informed he was being fired. Seems to be a pretty drastic step to take given his long-term employment with the company and that he says he was just named cashier of the month. I contacted Home Depot and spokesman Stephen Holmes told me Rucker did not follow protocol for dealing with an angry customer saying the problem here is that he had several opportunities to disengage and contact management to deal with the customer. We're appalled by this customer's behavior but we also must require associates to follow proper protocol to defuse a situation for the sake of their safety and the safety of other associates and customers. Maurice says managers told him the customer called to complain about him. He said that I was being racist. That you were? Th yeah, that I was being racist and that I said that I would knock him down. And he, I mean, he just like, 
told him a bunch of lies, and it seems like they believed him. After 10 years with the company, Maurice says he was making less than $13 an hour. He said he's considering contacting an attorney. Looking forward, he hopes to find a job working with children. Among his duties at Home Depot was running the kids' workshops. Well, explain to me why you want a, a white dentist all of a sudden. Because I want the best available dentist for my tooth. That's why. Now, just by coincidence, the best dentist schools are of the white people, by the white people, and for the white people. <laughs> now, don't it seem likely that the best dentist would be white? White dentist, please. Race, gender, work, and inequality form the core of sociologist Adia Harvey Wingfield's research. She's a sociology professor at Washington University, and her latest study looks at those topics in the context of the medical field and a rapidly changing economy. St. Louis Public Radio contributor John Larson recently spoke with Professor Wingfield about her research for her forthcoming book. It's titled Flatlining, Healthcare Work, Race, and Inequality in the New Economy. My current project is a look at black healthcare workers. I was interested in trying to think about how a lot of changes in the economy and changes to how we work had an impact on black professionals specifically. And healthcare seemed like an industry that's obviously undergoing a great deal of change and uh, restructuring. So I thought it would be a really useful site for trying to understand how black professionals in a field that's changing were experiencing these, these shifts that are happening with work. What are you finding? Uh, so a lot of interesting things. The main argument that I make in the forthcoming book is that for black healthcare workers, efforts that organizations are making to try to focus on issues related to diversity aren't necessarily going far enough, and they're not necessarily reaching a broad variety of workers. One of the things that I think is interesting about the book is that I look at black doctors, nurses, technicians, and physician assistants, and their experiences with race in the workplace differ depending on what sort of job they're doing. And what I'm finding is that organizational attempts to address black workers' experiences often paint with a pretty broad brush and don't necessarily take into consideration how those experiences can change depending on what sort of job the professionals are working in. Well, you think of a medical doctor as running the whole show. What mm -hmm. kind of challenges would a black doctor have? So interestingly, for black doctors, it varies by gender in some ways. Broadly speaking, for a lot of black doctors, the challenges that they experience are not really the sort of kind of everyday experiences with discrimination that might be the sort of overt things that we might think about for black doctors. They talk to me a lot more about more structural or cultural biases, these ideas that they have to really go out of their way to prove themselves to people who might assume that they aren't qualified or competent, or the barriers that keep doctors or keep people of color out of the medical profession in the first place. So disparities in education, disparities in lack of, of funding that allows people to undergo the very expensive training that's required for medicine. For black women, though, a lot of their challenges were much more stark when it came to issues related to gender. Pretty much every black woman doctor that I spoke with talked about being mistaken for the nurse or being called miss instead of doctor, even after introducing themselves as doctor. So for them, the sort of structural barriers that make it difficult for black doctors were present. But when they thought about the everyday challenges that they encountered in medicine, it was definitely things that were related to these experiences of being a black woman doctor specifically. I suppose it makes it even more difficult then for them to go into private practice? Well, for a lot of black professionals, I found that many of them actually are more interested in the public sector work because they are focused on wanting to address racialized health disparities and serve the populations that they see as being the most in need. And in many cases, the public sector is where we treat the patients who 
economically have the least. This is where we see the highest numbers of uh, poor black, Latino, Asian American patients who may not have private health insurance and have to rely on public facilities. So many black doctors were actually driven to that sector, but they also talked a lot about how the under-resourcing of the public sector has really made their jobs a lot more difficult. For black doctors who did go into a private practice, they were able to escape some of those resourcing challenges, but still often dealt with the structural barriers that I spoke about. And for black women doctors in particular, often dealt with still this challenge of not being perceived to be someone who was qualified or suited for medicine because of their status as women. Is the majority of that pushback coming from white patients and white peers? In some cases, yes, but not exclusively. I did speak with some uh, doctors who talked about particularly older black patients who, I guess, were more accustomed to an earlier era where there were even fewer black doctors than there are now. But in most cases, when respondents talked about encountering patients who didn't trust them or didn't really believe that they could be doctors, those typically were more likely to be white patients. When you were doing your research, were you looking at illness and disease that was adversely affecting the African-American culture? And did you find any ties between having a black doctor was more of an insurance policy against some of these diseases and illnesses? Right. I didn't look specifically at health in terms of connections between race and disease and illness. But there is research that suggests that for patients of color and black patients in particular, health outcomes can be improved by having doctors of the same race. And I think a lot of that stems from the somewhat contentious history that black people have had with the medical establishment at large. We can think of kind of obvious examples like the Tuskegee experiment to show ways in which black patients have been mistreated by the healthcare system and the ways in which I think that may have developed a collective memory that affects the ways in which black people respond to and look at uh, aspects of the, the medical establishment. So research does show that those connections do matter. I was looking more so at the experiences of black workers in the healthcare system, but I did find that when it comes to uh, these relationships between these groups and the ways in which black patients may regard and be mindful of uh, the ways in which black practitioners might treat them differently, that black healthcare workers were aware of that also. And that was something that was constantly at the forefront of their mind in terms of how they treated patients, particularly because in many cases they saw that their colleagues often did not offer black patients, particularly black poor patients, the same level of deference and courtesy. So they really were mindful of the ways in which their treatment could potentially offset the ways that they might be mistreated by white practitioners, and that that could, at least hypothetically, have an impact on maybe psychosomatically combating some aspects of disease and illness that might be more prevalent in black communities. What interested you most about this? You mean in coming into the project or in terms of my findings? Your findings and the project. Uh, Coming into the project, I wanted to think more about how changes to work were having an impact on black professionals. And I wasn't really seeing a lot of that in most of the sociological research on work and inequality. There was a pretty decent older literature that talked about black professionals, broadly speaking, but most of that was written before a lot of the major changes that have happened in our economy. There wasn't anything that looked at Uh, how black professionals were experiencing work in a post-recession era or in a context of enormous income inequality or, to a lesser degree, in an era where the public sector that has historically been an era where black professionals could find comfortable, stable work has been steadily shrinking and eroded over the past several decades. So I wanted to think a lot about how those changes were having an impact on black workers. What does that 
daily work experience look like when you're dealing with all of these structural changes and in an environment where, on paper at least, it looks like you've made it, so to speak, because you're in this professional job, but you're in this professional job where professional work itself has become a lot less secure, a lot less stable, and not necessarily the route to upward mobility that it had been in previous decades. So that was my initial interest in coming into the project. In terms of the things that were interesting to me about the findings, I think a lot of that had to do with the differences that I saw between occupations and seeing how much black doctors' experiences could be very different from black nurses' experiences, which then were very different from black technicians' experiences. And I think that's important to give a much more nuanced view of both work and inequality and how that relates to race. Because when we talk about black professionals, I think there's a pretty sort of narrow window that we have of what that looks like, right? We might think of a few people who are examples of black doctors or teachers or attorneys or what have you. If we look at current media, for example, we get shows like Blackish or Insecure that show us examples of a few black professional workers. But we don't really get a clear look at how there's kind of a broad category of black professional workers whose experiences may not necessarily all mirror each other and may not all be the same. So I found it really interesting to think about how even within this group of workers who would all be considered people who do professional work and have these white collar jobs, there was still a lot of variance within that category and that their experiences didn't necessarily mirror each other. If you had a magic wand, what's the fix? Oh, boy. I'm not sure. <laughs> the fix. I'm not sure the fix is a magic wand type of solution. But I do think that there are ways to address some of the issues that I learned about in my research. I think that organizations have to be a lot more nuanced and mindful about their attempts to recruit and retain workers of color. And I think that the current buzz for a while has been this talk about diversity and equity programs and talking about diversity and inclusion. But I think that research also shows that those programs have not been as successful as we might like them to be. So I think that organizations shouldn't begin and end with diversity worker diversity programs. What's probably more, if not equally important, if not more important, is thinking about how organizations may need to restructure or overhaul themselves to be more attuned to a broad array of workers that they have to employ. I also think that it's critical for workers to have more support and power and influence than they currently do. And I think one way, if we're thinking about policymakers and the role that they can play in this, is to be a lot more supportive of unions and collective bargaining. The numbers of workers who belong to unions has declined precipitously over the past several decades. But research also shows that when workers belong to unions, they can actually drive up wages for workers across the board, even those who don't belong in unions. And that historically, unions were kind of at this precipice of being able to create more racial equity before support for them began to decline pretty broadly. So I think those are a couple of steps that can be taken so that black professionals who are becoming a growing number of the demographics that are going to be critical in a more multiracial society can work in environments that are more representative of their experiences and their their needs, and therefore allow organizations to better serve a more multiracial population that we have now. What has been your personal experience being a PhD, a doctor? Mm-hmm. Have you been called Miss Wingfield? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how does that feel? You know, actually, it depends for me. I have some colleagues who are very strict about I'm professor such and such, I'm doctor such and such, but I've had a wide experience with working in different educational environments. I have had some students who I think were just not familiar with the norms around higher education. And when it's from students where I can tell that they're just they're cut, they're freshmen and they're coming right out of high school and they're used to addressing their teachers as Mrs. such and such. For those students, I don't 
ascribe any malicious intent to it. The issues come, I think, when you talk to other colleagues who say, no, that student always calls me professor such and such. That's weird that they refer to you as miss or as a dia. Well, then it's not weird. It's <laughs> pretty clear that you're making an intentional decision to refer to my male colleagues as professor such and such, but to feel as if we're on a familiar enough basis that it's fine for you to refer to me by my first name. Does that surprise you that it's still happening? No. Not at all. I mean, with the work that I do where my research focuses so much on issues related to work and racial and gender inequality at work, there's unfortunately very little that surprises me at this point. Context of white supremacy. We should all be working to not be surprised about the system of white supremacy. Today's day, Thursday, July 26th, 2018. So I have been told. This is our weekly caucus, Neutralizing Workplace Racism. This is not a broadcast for spectators. I don't know about the weather in other parts of the plantation. Here in Seattle, it is a lovely, warm, sunny summer day. could be outside frolicking, doing lots of things. We are here addressing the serious problem of white supremacy racism, specifically in the area of people activity of labor. Uh, If we have folks that are listening, if you have a work history, if you have experienced problems, we certainly want to hear from you. If you have figured out codification so that you can minimize the types of problems that you experience on the job, certainly if you have figured out a way to completely eliminate so that you don't get falsely accused, you don't have whites calling you nigger on the job, you don't have any brawls about your time off, vacation days, sick leave, uh, if you have a sick child, any of that. If you need a transfer, if you need to move your office, your desk, no problems ever for any reason. You get all your bonuses, all your raises, on time, promotions, no problem. You should be the very first person to call in. The number 641 Four zero, the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Number again six four one seven one five three six four zero, the code. Five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. You can certainly email if you have or if you do not have the ability to dial in or if you don't want to call in. Drop us an email until justice at gmail.com and we can read your commentary on the air. People did write in. I had thoughts on uh, the audio segments that we heard as well. One thing I just wanted to begin with, I did my segment the other day to talk about what I've been going through with teacher training. That certainly would qualify for workplace racism. I just didn't want to dominate, take up too much time with that. But one thing that I will share that I did not discuss uh, this past Tuesday, the broadcast uh, teaching yoga as a black male in the system of white supremacy. It's in the archives which have been updated, the iTunes archives, the Black Talk Radio Network archives, the SoundCloud uh, archives, all should be 
current. Uh, there were some difficulties getting things uploaded to iTunes, but that has been solved. You can refresh and get the current content. At any rate, yoga teacher training. I've said for years now, uh, echoing the sentiments of Mr. Neely Fuller Jr., uh, Mr. Edward Williams, and many others, the importance of knowing policy and procedure. Uh, if it's a classroom setting, uh, they might have uh, a policy outline for the class and then a syllabus, a course uh, kind of outline. Know that material. If it's your job, look at that policy and procedure manual so that you know what the expectations are for folks that are going to be working on that particular job. With teacher training, we got a syllabus. We got a list of all the requirements with checks that you can go through as you check things off. And then we get like weekly uh, email updates from the instructors and they kind of let us know if we have homework or if there are other assignments that are due and what the plan of action is going to be for the week's classes. So last week we got this email and <clears throat> the suspected racist uh, instructor, she told us to answer like five, six questions from our uh, teacher training manual that everybody has. I go through, answer the questions, didn't, you know, no, not a lot of time, something that you could probably do in 10 minutes or so. So we get to class and they put these questions up on the overhead or whatever, projector, whatever it is. So I'm looking at it and I say, uh, you know, we already did this. This was a, a homework assignment. And the different instructor says, oh, no, 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 we didn't we didn't do these already. And I look at the questions again and I say, yes, this was, you know, just a homework assignment. I already did this. And so he looks at it. And so he says, so did anybody already answer these questions? So I put my hand up. White female behind me raises her hand. Nobody else in the class. He says, OK, well, it seems most people didn't do it anyway, so we'll do it. And while all of this has been going on, other people in the class, I'm the only <clears throat> black male in the class. There's only one other non-white person. So while this has been going on, the other whites in the class are speaking up and saying, oh, I never saw this. I've never seen this before. This wasn't assigned. I didn't do this. No problem. So we continue. Uh, everyone, everyone else is doing this assignment, I guess, for the first time. Uh, I'm not doing anything because, as I stated, we already did, or at least I already did this. This was assigned. I already did this. So the instructor, he starts going back and looking through his email to see if he can find it. So about five minutes later, he speaks up and he says, <clears throat> OK, guys, this was assigned uh, for us to do. <clears throat> These questions were not listed explicitly, but. It was uh, given that we were supposed to go to this page in the manual and answer the questions. If you go to that page, these are the questions that are on that page. So Gus was, in fact, correct. We were supposed to have already done this. But since most of you did not do it, you can go ahead and do it now. And uh, cool point or whatever he said uh, for Gus. The reason I bring that up pretty consistently, that is the position that you're going to have to be in or to strive to be in as a victim of white supremacy, because so many times things are not being done in a correct manner and things are explicitly, deliberately, willfully being done in a manner to mistreat black people in particular. So really make sure that you are mindful uh, about the details. And it happened again uh, even yesterday because we didn't uh, follow what was on the syllabus. We had a whole different course outline and people were looking confused uh, and everything and then finally someone asked at the end and the instructor has a completely different syllabus from the syllabus that we have with totally different assignments for like the next 
three or four classes from what our syllabus has. But anyway, just making sure that you are really observant, informed, competent about policy and procedure, so much so that you are aware, acutely so, when up, we have deviated from what we are supposed to be doing. This is what it's supposed to be. That's not what it is now. And then you can decide how you want to uh, address that situation. Leaving the yoga behind. Workplace racism, although that definitely applies. With regards to some of the audio segments that were shared, that very first uh, segment, the black male at Home Depot who was fired uh, because some race soldier came in with a canine that was unleashed and the black male employee just told him about their policy. You know, hey, you're supposed to have the dog on a leash. And this race soldier begins calling him a nigger and becomes belligerent, directly terroristic. <clears throat> and they end up firing the black male saying he didn't follow uh, procedure because he responded or said something to the customer. And that's not what uh, they're supposed to do. That is an illustration of why I emphasize on the program. And this is not saying that that black male did anything incorrect, but it is saying that whites, them practicing racism, again, that's not something that we should be uh, surprised about, stunned about. We should expect that. How we respond, huge with regards to workplace racism. And we really got to make every effort that we can. I know it's difficult. It can be really challenging for everybody, including myself, but really making an effort to control our emotions so that we can stop, think. Really, in those sort of situations, I would uh, encourage distance immediately. Once they've come out and said, nigger, and I've said this even if you're not on a job, once you got whites yelling nigger and that sort of thing, violence could be seconds away. Uh, I would be trying to exit that area. If you're in a workplace situation, I would go get the manager immediately. Uh, this <clears throat> uh, person here is making terroristic threats. Uh, they called me a nigger, threatened violence or whatever else they did. And I don't feel safe. Emphasis on safety. I don't feel safe. This person is threatening me. I feel that my life could be in jeopardy and let them take it from. Do the enforcement officials need to be called? That's another one. Invoke Mr. Williams. Enforcement officials might need to be called. And that's it. I don't have anything else to say to him. Might not have anything to say with him at all. In fact, if a white person has got to the point, they're calling you a nigger on the job. Nothing to say at all. Exit. Write that down. And whatever protocol, whatever procedure that you have, if you want to ask that person a question, that's fine. But I would have as little to say as possible. With the whole situation, you can just think, uh, because if you want to ask a question, <clears throat> in my view, sometimes that works even better. If you take a minute or what have you, so it's not an immediate thing, you can wait a little bit and then ask your question so that everything is calm. It wasn't a he was flipping out and belligerent and asking me, nope, there was a delay. He waited. Seemed like he or she was thinking for a bit and then calmly ask the question if that's the route you want to go. But it should be very deliberate, very precise if you say anything at all under those circumstances. And all for a dog. To like, I'm not a pet fan at all. If we have dog uh, listeners out there or listeners who are dog owners, dog lovers out there, Gus T is not in your lot. Next. Now, the segment that was talking about how black professionals, put that in quotes, are treated on the job. So many things stood out. I cannot deal with anything that talks about uh, the medical profession and the system of white supremacy without mentioning 
the great Harriet A. Washington, medical apartheid. And I really need to emphasize that on this one because it is so much larger than Tuskegee. Yes, that is an important illustration of white terrorism. Absolutely. That is not the only one. And if we're going to talk about black people and whatever issues or problems are arising with regards to the medical field in 2018 or any other era of white supremacy, let's make sure that we do not present this as though whites terrorizing black people under the guise of being doctors, nurses, physicians, whatever it is. Let's not make it seem as though that is an antiquated, outdated practice. That's still going on. If we want to talk about uh, Henrietta Lacks or any other number of situations where black people, Dr. Vanessa Grubb, she was on the program talking about the disparity uh, in organ transplants for black people in particular. Uh, we've had so many people on the program. I said Dr. Vanessa Grubb's her book, Hundreds of Interlaced Fingers. Dr. Dorothy Roberts, uh, the uh, Killing the Black Body uh, in Gus's top 10. She's been a three-time guest on the program. Uh, Vernelia Randall, Dying While Black. Uh, we've had so many different individuals on the program to address this issue. This is not something that's old. Whites are doing this all the time. Even more than that, the medical field and racism is something we've covered extensively over our decade of broadcasting. But things that were addressed in that clip, uh, it, <clears throat> it stood out to me in a very glaring manner because we've invested so much time covering this topic. When they began talking about racism and sexism ended up being pulled in gender analysis. I did not hear a gender analysis for black males. Now, if I missed that in the clip, you all can point that out. I heard black doctors and then it pivoted to black female, either doctors or she was talking about her own experiences or other black female healthcare professionals. I did not hear anything that was specific to this is what black males experience and then this is what black females experience or this is what black people in general experience. I heard black doctors, black medical professionals, and then black females uh, in their experience. Certainly, I'm sure black females experience racism, white supremacy in a myriad of ways that I do not know. But I'm also very sure that those black male uh, professionals are experiencing white supremacy, racism also in a very different way that I might not know about. And I have direct examples of that because we had Dr. Augustus White on the program. He talked extensively about his career as a black doctor. Uh, he's a professor at Harvard in their medical school. We talked about his book and his history of going through medical school and how the racism he experienced. Also, a guest who was not on the context of white supremacy, but was talked about on the cows extensively. He did a segment on NPR in 2013 called for a black doctor building trust by slowing down. This is uh, Dr. Gregory McGriff. He didn't come on the cows, but I talked to him uh, personally. We had a phone conversation. We exchanged uh, text messages, the whole nine. He participated in NPR, NPR's race card project. And what he wrote, you're supposed to use six words to write a, a sentence that's about white supremacy racism. His six word sentence was 55 miles per hour means you. Miles per hour means you. I think it was black boy. I have the report in front of me. They just don't have the whole sentence spelled out the way that he uh, has it. But 55 miles per hour means you. Yep, I got it. 55 miles per hour means you black man. I think it should have said black boy, but you get the picture. And he did this interview and he explained 
his abuse and how he's mistreated as a black male physician in North Carolina. Again, shout to Mr. Scotty Reed. Uh, and he talked about them calling him uppity. He used that word specifically in the NPR report about them calling him uppity because he used words that they didn't understand. These were white patients uh, in North Carolina uh, saying this where he said he would have to talk really slow. Uh, and he said not talking down to them, but making sure that they could ex- understand what he said. And, and he, just a lot of different things that he shared in the interview. It got really interesting because I played the segment and then I contacted Dr. McGriff to see if we could have him as a guest on the program. He contacted me and he said, I've received notice that I'm no longer going to be employed at the hospital after doing the interview with NPR. Not that I was surprised to be in the business of not being shocked, but okay. So we wait. Uh, And then I think a few weeks pass or what have you. And we actually talk on the phone, not just text. And he said that it had just been really difficult, that there was a a big response uh, by some of the whites on the job uh, about the report. I guess the interview, they heard it and felt that he was accusing them of racism. And anyway, uh, somehow that was able to be resolved and he was not terminated, but he was certainly uh, hesitant about doing any more speaking up about white supremacy, racism, and his experience as a black male physician in the great state of North Carolina. This all happened in 2013. Talked about some of this as we rolled along. I would encourage anyone to go to NPR and get that uh, report uh, for a black doctor building trust by slowing down where he gives some of the extensive detail on how he was abused. But it just, it really stood out at me like, wow, the black male experience and all of this being ignored. In fact, Dr. Tommy Curry, many times a guest on this program, has said frequently and has criticized emphatically gender studies for consistently making or suggesting the way it's presented that only females have a gender, only females experience issues that are directly related to their quote unquote gender, that this does not happen to males and specifically black males in a system of white supremacy rife with black misandry. Continuing from that report, when they were talking about all the different abuses and what have you of of black uh, physicians and officials, nurses, all of that, which is totally true. Some of that's covered in medical apartheid and some of the other texts that we've talked about. And they were saying that you would think things are better because you get to see more black professionals and you get exposure to content like blackish and insecure. I wanted to vomit. For a myriad of reasons, again, I can invoke the spirit of Dr. Francis Cress Relsing. Reading is more important than watching television. Certainly, if your only options are going to be blackish, which I thought should have been canceled instead of Roseanne, and Insecure, where I think the third season, third season, even that's even though that's supposed to be a what they call black entertainment on HBO, started by a black female, I think their third season is supposed to be focused on black toxic black masculinity that was the interview i just saw that season three focused on not the system of white supremacy but toxic black masculinity anyway uh the other aspects from the uh, physician segment I just I think it is extremely important uh, just to repeat, if you don't understand racism, white supremacy, what it is, how it works, 
everything else that you do understand will only confuse you. None of this is happening. Uh, none of this is happenstance. And none of this is because white people are ignorant. And we certainly do not have uh, a burgeoning multiracial nation. There is one race in the system of white supremacy. That is a statement. Either it's true or it's false. In my view, it is extremely important in cutting through a lot of confusion. Because once you start thinking, I'm a member of a race, even though I'm not white, confusion is lethal. There is one race the white race we are not multiracial there's not a growing multiracial population you have a system of white supremacy and a lot of confusion about what that is and how that works with that the number again is 641-715-3640 the code is 564-943 pound press star six one if you would like to participate we'll hit the phone lines and get the first few folks who dialed in if you have contact i guess one more thing that i will share i had a very uh productive day got up early and was able to get a lot done i didn't have any yoga today or teacher training so i was just able to get lots of of good things done most of it focused around racism i did pause and I had a conversation with the black female that I mentioned on the program earlier this week. Uh, we were talking about white supremacy, racism, and the logic of why it's incorrect for whites to engage in any sexual activity with non-white people. Uh, we talked about racism, white supremacy a lot, and somehow the conversation went to Atlanta. I only want to make sure that I get this on the record because this is something that I've talked about for years uh, on the cows. I've mentioned before that I lived in Atlanta. So to hear her talking about Atlanta, she had the audacity to open her mouth and say, I've wanted to go to Atlanta. People have told me to go check it out. It's great, but don't go there looking for a mate. The ratio is 10 black females to every one black male. I almost had to stop and take a Kaepernick in the middle of the sidewalk to regather my thoughts and get myself together uh, to hear that nonsense. I can only say follow logic. There is so much confusion and nonsense that is promoted as gospel, sacred truth. That is one that is sticking. <laughs> when Gus T. Renegade is no longer on this earth, that will be a definitive one. The mythology that there are 10 black females to every one black male in Atlanta that right there goes to the core of my experience on a planet dominated by white supremacy racism and total confusion that is spawned by that where people say things that absolutely cannot be true like a first grade logic this cannot be true but it gets repeated ad nauseum as though it is sacred gospel incredible to be in Seattle on a lovely day and to hear that again. <sighs> Getting back on track. Workplace racism. The number 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate first few folks who dialed in. I have people who uh, wrote commentary in as well. I have to uh, read 
as we proceed. Uh, first few folks who dialed in, if you have comments you would like to share, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Our caller in the Bay Area. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Yay, I'm on my way to work, so if you hear some whatever, it's because I'm driving. Um, I'm the one that worked at the hotel. I was trying to figure out how to get out. Um, I got an offer. Well, the people that I was working for at the hotel, the, the Caucasian male manager, because um, he was going out of town for another vacation. He decided to give me um, full-time, but I didn't know about it. I guess uh, another Caucasian male that I work with, he knew. So he said, told me it was uh, something taped to the dryer uh, because I do the laundry and the front desk. So he said, uh, I think that's an offer for you to get full-time. Yeah, I, I, just check it out. So I never check it out. It's right above my home. Um, Sunrider, and I got another um, letter taped to the dryer with pictures that I never opened because I wasn't interested. They, it could have been telling me how to do what I've been doing for two years. Who knows? So the Caucasian male manager went on vacation. I applied for another job when I had this mediation meeting uh, about how I'm not, um, I don't get along with the manager or I'm not going above and beyond the call of duty to get along with the manager, but I get along with the staff. Um, I apply for a job at Amazon. Not like it's any better, but it's getting me out of the hotel. So I got an offer for the 1st of June to start working. That was my hire day. I went to the higher orientation. So on the 1st of June, I put in my, uh, since it's um, at will employment, I just put in my letter of resignation that day taped it and gave it to, um, put it on the, um, above the uh, manager's desk. He wasn't there, but the Caucasian female team lead was going to be there. So I just gave it to them and um, left. It was great because when the manager got back, he was so livid that I didn't work there anymore. And the way I did it, he just all Mary, wait until I put my job to, I mean, until I went on the station to put her job and she did it on purpose. Yes, if I did do it on purpose, yes. So um, I work at Amazon. It's, it's, it's still, you know, you just got different forms of um, whatever we're going to go through, but it just pulls me out of that until something else happens. And um, that's all I wanted to share. I've been trying to share it for a while, but I when the program comes on, I have to be at work at 6.30, so sometimes I don't get in, but... That's it. I wanted to share that with you guys, and thank you. And I do keep up with the book club, so and thank you for taking my call, and I'll mute my line. Thank you for sharing. Invisible Man, we're all done tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man, we are all done. Have loved every minute that we have read, but 
I am overjoyed uh, to hear uh, that you are no longer at that place because I felt it was totally unsafe. I mean, Amazon, we're all on the plantation. I don't care how much money you make, what your compensation is, perks, how long you've been there, how big your office is. We're all on the plantation, even President Obama when he was hanging out in the White House. That being said, uh, some spots on the plantation are more dangerous than others. At least that's what I've concluded. It seems like uh, the spot at the hotel was extremely dangerous. I mean, wow. Like we, I could do a collage of the different times that you've called in where we had people hopping over the front counter, uh, being violent, drunk, violent, intoxicated uh, patrons that you have to, to deal with, the disrespect from other uh, employees and what have you. I mean, just rife. Uh, with danger and mistreatment from so many different angles. It's not like they were paying you, you know, $500,000 a year uh, to do this madness. So I am overjoyed uh, to hear that you're out of there. And I say that again because so many times uh, the system of white supremacy, that's what it does. Uh, This system will have us where we have to struggle and fight so hard to get uh, any sort of employment, anything at all, Uh, that we end up being in situations where we just taking this and, okay, this is not really what I want, but I'm just trying to do something just to get by for, you know, a month or a couple months until I can get a better job. And that I'm going to be here for a little while ends up being like five years or 10 years or something, you know, ghastly. Uh, So I'm ecstatic. I'm so glad to hear it. If Amazon, if this too is supposed to be temporary until you get something better, fantastic. Uh, Hopefully it won't last as, as long as the other treacherous spot and that is a plus uh, to be able to get everything lined up so that you could leave when you were ready to leave, when you had all your ducks in a row, as they say, so that you could leave without it causing problems. And if they want to be upset about that as you exit, well, so sorry. Moving on to better things. Grand. Bravo. Mom in the Bay Area. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have uh, either comments on what's been shared thus far or if you have uh, your own commentary, proceed. I guess one more thing about the segment that we, we heard about the physicians uh, racism against black professionals, quote unquote, in the St. Louis area. Uh, when the guest victim of racism, when she was talking about uh, the deliberate uh, mangling of non-white titles and not calling folks by their name. She was talking about her situation where sometimes the students would not address her by her title, uh, doctor, professor, they would call her by her name. Uh, absolutely. Deliberate act of racism, white supremacy. Now, she didn't call it deliberate act of racism, but she did hit the deliberate willfulness uh, of this act. But man, that is something that applies to black males and black females. And I was going to try and pick out professors who talked about all that, but I'm just going to go back and reinvoke uh, our former president. We had eight years of whites not calling him by his title. President. I mean, right now, with everything they say about our current president, it's still President Trump, Commander in Chief Trump. We had eight years of that no good Obama and that no good Obama. I even heard some slipping into Barack at times when you caught a white person who was really disgruntled uh, about those niggers camping out in Washington, D.C. But anyway, I think that is widespread and a problem we've talked about for eons on this program. All manner of black people not being called by their correct title, nicknames, you name it. Whites do it. That is standard operating procedure. Other folks who dialed in, if you have a commentary, hand up, proceed. May I be heard? 
right on cue. Speaking of mangling of titles, Red in Nevada. Thank you. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you for allowing me to share. Um, I actually, the first thing, um, I have a commentary that I actually, um, from my workplace uh, journal from last week, but um, just a commentary about the, the black male. Um, I didn't hear the segments, but just the recap about him, but the black male who worked at the hardware store and um, him having to lose his job over, you know, reacting to the overt racism. And I know in previous employment, um, in previous uh, plantations, that is hap- I've seen that happen to um, at least one black male, where it was at a um, it was at a call center, and the person, um, the white person, called the black male a nigger, and um, he reacted. And then you know, next thing you know, there was he wasn't there anymore, and. You know, eventually um, it, it came out that he was fired because of what happened. And apparently that person who kept calling in, they would call in, keep calling, you know, um, keep calling people, you know, niggers or keep calling people names. And then um, they finally got to that one black male. I don't I can't remember if they said that he said something back, but I know for sure that he had just hung up on the customer. And that was that was enough. Um and I know eventually, and this was uh, long down the road, that they eventually said, you know, if a customer is being um, uh, abrasive, I guess, they of course not using racism or anything like that, but they said, you know, it'll just get them over to a supervisor because that's what they're paid to deal with. And that's why I always keep in my mind, even though that was one plantation, but I just transferred it onto other plantations, supervisors. They get paid to deal with things like that. So if your place of employment doesn't allow you to either walk away from the person um, or to hang up on them, if you're speaking to them on the fo- over the phone, I know like different like collection, um, like collection and uh, plantations, if the people are being rude or whatever, they can hang up on you, and it's just not um, and it's not a big deal. But um, if you don't have that ability, um, then definitely maybe even looking toward getting them over to a supervisor because that's what they get paid to do finding finding somebody in upper management and i know i actually had to deal with that um not that long ago where i can tell that it was a white person that i had to speak to over the phone and just they use the term they use they say we when they're mad at the company but it's still like you know kind of i don't i feel like this they don't really really mean we like how worthless we are and um, you know, and, you know, just all types of cursing and stuff like that. And, you know, just kept my same tone, same mood, whatever. And finally, you know, got to got to resolving whatever issue he had. And then kind of towards the end of the call, there's this happened a couple of times, they'll either apologize or they'll kind of have like this lower tone voice, almost as if they were mad, you know, or, or kind of upset that they could not get me to, you know, act just as mean and nasty towards them. So um, that was just one thing to just reference the clips. Um, But quickly, I'll go over some of the things that happened um, recently at this plantation. Um, I was thinking about just different things that maybe if black people are, um, I don't know, brave enough to bring this type of thing up in an interview. But um, I know like at um, certain plantations, they offer bonuses or incentives or whatever, but just kind of see if that is one of the things that is actually um, enticing you to go over to that type of employment, 
then maybe even ask if you're brave enough to ask, okay, well, how is this paid? Because it depends on how, depending on how it's paid is if it'll kind of let you, you kind of figure the opportunity cost of it, if it is um, good enough for you to consider that type of employment, because if they include the bonus in with your regular pay, you're going to get taxed very heavily and it might not even be worth it. Um, so just, just thinking about that. And um, then also with the whole putting in notice, um, I had heard a suspected um, racist on the job just speaking about how they used to be in upper management at another company. And they, um, with a person put in the notice, they would just immediately just walk them out right then and there because they felt like, well, if they were in certain positions, and I feel like this could, it doesn't, I feel like honestly, it doesn't really matter but they were making the reference that, oh, well, this person handles cash and we can no longer trust them. So we just will immediately walk them out because they don't have any, um, any, any reason to uh, not steal from the company. So I just thought that that was interesting. It's like they want us to put in the notice to kind of make it seem as if we are quote unquote responsible. But then if you do, you'll get possibly filed or fired immediately. And I'll, I'll meet my line. Thank you for allowing me to share. Hmm. That is a great point to uh, consider uh, in terms of putting in your notice. I haven't uh, heard of a, a situation like that before where some, you know, somebody immediately is and walked out of the building. Not just today is going to be your last day. You can finish up at the day. But like, uh, no, we have a cardboard box. Security will ask you out right now if you have a key or a passcode or whatever it is. We'll take that off. I mean, wow, that's like you've been criminalized, uh, which is pretty much the system of white supremacy uh that's i think also a, a great point about the bonus or i guess any form of compensation that's going to be used to try to leverage you into making a decision about taking a job or not taking a job or whatever it is to see uh exactly how that's going to be allocated uh so you can get more details and i don't think that's one you should have a lot of trepidation about i think that's just being intelligent, uh, just, you know, to ask, just getting details. Is this a lump sum thing? Is this going to be taxed? Is this included with my normal uh, compensation? I think that's a legit question. I don't think uh, unless they have something untoward planned to begin with, in which case it's good to, you know, find all that out from the very beginning. But in my view, that's bravo, A plus, A plus to uh, inquire about. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have uh, commentary on anything that has been shared thus far, or if you have your own situation, uh, the number again, 641-715-3640 and the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. And I'll make sure I give a plug in uh, the female speaker in the segment at the beginning of the program, University of Washington. That's in uh, Missouri, not the one that's here. Or it's actually, theirs is Washington University. That's the distinction. The one in Missouri, Washington University's uh, Adia Harvey Wingfield. And she was talking about her book that's coming out, Flatlining Healthcare Work, Race and Inequality in the New Economy. I always point that out as well when people find ways of using substitutes for white supremacy racism. It'll be white privilege, it'll be racial discrimination, whiteness, race, racial disparities. Uh, they got buckets of them. Uh, ways of getting away from the problem. White supremacy, racism. Call it what it is. Other folks who dialed in with the hand up, uh, line should be open. Proceed. 
Can I be heard? Uh, Mr. Steele? Yes. Uh, this is uh, Ken Steele, and I'm reporting from uh, Des Moines, Iowa, on business. Um, oof, I, 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 I can't wait till I leave. Um, I can't wait to get back to California um, for a number of different reasons. But, yeah, I'm just not a big fan of uh, Des Moines, Iowa, and I don't want to return. Um, I don't know anyone who is a I just fan want to report of Des Moines, Idaho, uh, Iowa, excuse me. <laughs> right? It, who knows where I'm at? Anyway, um, I, I just wanted to uh, I just wanted to remind everybody on the line when assessing opportunities, consider this concept of opportunity cost. That is, what am I foregoing by pursuing a particular opportunity? And what are the ways that I can maximize the opportunities that are in front of me? And oftentimes, I'm just coming from uh, Chicago, and I just met some of my friends from um, a few years back when I lived there, and I saw that they weren't really advancing in their careers. They didn't really advance in what they were doing. They were um, either doing the same job that they were doing when I left, or they are doing uh, another job that is very similar to what they were doing before with zero advancement. And that's, I hadn't been to Chicago in about two years. Uh, I, well, I hadn't visited them in about two years. And that was astonishing to me. Um, but it isn't when you consider that they have to take maybe an hour and a half every day uh, maybe two hours uh, when you uh, total it up together just to commute from A to B uh, for their opportunities. And then um, on top of that, the opportunities that I'm talking about that they're the jobs that they have, you know, they're doing um, FedEx and working for Amazon and, you know, just delivering packages. And that just takes so much of your time and your energy. And it basically keeps you stuck where you're at. And you want to avoid that when it comes to work, um, when it comes to whatever it is that you're doing for money. You want to maximize the amount of money that you can get and minimize the amount of time that it takes to get it. And oftentimes, uh, we get stuck in these modes of action and these jobs that just keep us occupied, keep us busy. They don't allow us to think. They don't allow us to plan for the future. They don't give us enough money for the future. And if you are in one of those jobs or one of those opportunities, leave, you, you, I, you know, and you, if you don't have any obligations to take care of, you're single, you know, you don't have a, a family to maintain, cut all your costs, leave, you know, uh, fill out some paperwork, get some uh, government aid. Oftentimes the government aid is going to pay you more than a job. And while you're on that aid, you can take the time to Learn about different opportunities that you can pursue that will provide uh, you with more time and more money because that's the point. It's not the point of, you know, an occupation isn't to do the occupation. It's to get the money so that you can live, so that you can enjoy life, so that you can, that you can grow, and hopefully you can pursue the, the cause and the, the mission of removing the system of racism and replacing it with a system of justice. If you're, all of your time is spent you know, sorting boxes and, 
picking stuff up and commuting back and forth and, you know, you only have a little bit of time and you don't have any money, you're, that sounds like slavery to me. And I just, I, I, you know, I, I beg everybody online to really consider how am I spending my time and what am I getting for it? And is there a po- opportunity to do better? And more often than not, there is. You can spruce up your LinkedIn. You can work your contacts. You can see what people who are advancing, be it in your immediate circle or even people that you know just from Facebook or online. You can ask them what they're doing. Just do whatever you can to get out of that trap. Consider opportunity costs. Consider what are you missing out on by going to this job every day? What are you missing out on by pursuing this, by, by, by doing this busy work and, you know, getting paid these low wages? And, you know, just, just look for more and, and, and try to and, and assess what you're doing. And if it's not working out for you, feel free to just leave. I'm going to go ahead and mute my line at this time. Thank you. Value your time and energy. Appreciate that, Mr. Steele. Value your time and energy. Very important in the system of white supremacy. And uh, similar to uh, what I was saying when our mom in the Bay Area was speaking, uh, racists, their system, uh, it just does a phenomenal job of taking away our creativity, motivation, energy kind of removing the horizon so you just end up trapped in these spots as mr Steele was saying uh that are not serving any purpose other than just robbing your time energy your life currency your life force really uh just robbing you uh while the system continues and you're not even really able to do anything to even the the bare minimums a lot of times these jobs are not even allowing us to to do that just all by racist design and to not be able to plan for the future while racists, they are making 500 and 5,000 year plans of terrorism. We're not even able to, you know, make a stable plan for seven days. All by design. Uh, Other folks that dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary, line should be open. Proceed. May I be heard? Can I be heard? Heard both of you. Wonderful. Draftomania, are you there, ma'am? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, hi, I'm Gus and I guess. Uh, I, um, I don't have much to um, report today. Um, I just thought I'd you know, like to participate because as you stated, um, this is not a spectator sport. And um just to report um, on uh, my workplace racism uh, in regards to the training issue and how that's coming along. Um, You know, I still am not being properly trained, but um, I can say that it is getting better from me training myself. Um, It's basically, I'm just, you know, um, using the the materials that they have set forth in front of me, just going through the worksheets and, I can say as far as the anxiety and being nervous, um, I've just been um, implementing um, and staying calm on a uh, job, uh, not allowing myself to um, 
get um you know upset or uh I wouldn't even say upset I would say basically fearful because you know um as a result of not being trained um for me um not knowing what I'm doing um can uh trigger some fear in me and then I can become anxious and then that can, you know that causes anxiety stress you know depression things like that so um what I've been doing I I've just been staying calm uh, following the worksheets as far as the steps um, is challenging because, you know, you're going to have live calls and you're learning at the same time. Um, so that's what I've just been doing. I've been, um, basically, I was attacked yesterday by, uh, you know, racist suspect on the phone. He was hurling all kinds of insults at me and I stayed calm and, you know, uh, I didn't react to this man, you know, calling, you know, making little uh, in, uh, insinuations about my character and me not doing my job properly and things like that. I just stayed calm, answered the questions, and that was that. I've taken it personal. Um, and also, um, I wanted to comment on um, the man, the, uh, the report uh, about the doctor from North Carolina that was being abused. And, um, you know, I am uh, relocated uh, to North Carolina and I can say that um, the South is a whole different world um, than what I'm used to. And, um, you know, they have, they play by a whole nother set of rules. You know, they basically, especially here in North Carolina, um, it's an at-will state and they can fire you um, and, you know, they can fire you for whatever they want to fire you for and say that it's something else. And because it may be racism, um, but they don't, you know, they won't have to expose that because it's an at-will state. And I've gone through, you know, some situations, you know, again, um, fired from a job here in North Carolina. And it's just really, I really just don't like, you know, I really I dislike uh, North Carolina. But um, I'm here, so I just try to learn how to deal with it to the best of my ability. And also, I just wanted to let you know that I, I, I purchased the uh, medical apartheid book um, from Amazon last week. I just got it last week, and I look forward to um, reading it. And um, also, I've been reading um, the uh, Robert F. Williams because I do. I, I look in, I uh, always um, listen to the archives. So the books that some of the books that you have been um been uh you know suggesting I have been reading and I must say that they are very 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 beneficial and that's all I have to say guys thank you I'll meet my line reading is more important than watching television the great the grandsister Dr Francis Cresswell think she said that regularly robert f williams negroes with guns we actually did a, a shorter uh book study on that way back when on the cows as well uh, and certainly we spent months on medical apartheid the great harriet a washington top five all-time medical apartheid uh other folks who dialed it oh that's uh and great I've said that consistently that that is the number one aspect of counter racism as it relates to the job and maybe anywhere. Got to keep your composure. Racists are calling you names or insulting you or you don't even know how to use a phone. You can't spell. How did you get this job? You're an affirmative action. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, ma'am, your policy is such and such and such or whatever it is. If it's supposed to be well at this point, I have to transfer you to a manager. Hold, please. I mean, 
it would be very little. One sentence, two sentence, maybe nothing. Uh, Got to keep your composure on the job. You cannot let them get you upset. And I'm so appreciative uh, that you noting after they do these things to try to goad you uh, and it doesn't work. Uh, and then, you know, them seeming some type of way about it. I've seen that with ra- a lot of times racists with whites. They want you to be the one that's foaming at the mouth and yelling and cursing. And they know, got them. Bingo. Another one fired. Woo. Go in there and get them fired and get, you know, my opioid niece, get them a job up there or whatever so they can support their habit or what have you. This is a part of racist design. And I mean, that's just, I'm not stunned ever about a white person practicing racism. And as long as it's just them name calling, I don't care what it is, nigga, whatever they say, as long as it's just that, my heartbeat is not going to move at all. I'll figure out if this is a time I need to pull out my recorder. Do I need to pull out my pen and pad? Do I need to just give them a good, hmm. but I'm not going to be acting a fool over something any white individual said to me on the job, especially not on the phone. Like, come on. Outstanding job. Outstanding job, Draftomania. Uh, other folks who, uh, oh, there was a male caller who spoke up simultaneously. Thank you for yielding the floor, sir. Are you still with us, sir? Yes. Yeah, oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, sir. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Uh, hello, family. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I'm a first-time call-in. I listen to the show a lot. It really gets me through my week. I love the way that you handle everything so nice and calm and speak very clearly. No confusion, as you always say. Um, uh, it's hard. It's going to be pretty difficult for me to try to not use metaphors. Uh, as being a former artist, I'm really used to speaking using a lot of metaphors all the time, but I told at first I was resistant to it, but now I understand why you uh, have that caveat so that you could actually say, they'll use the exact words to describe what it is that you're feeling and convey your points clearly. So I, I, under, I understood. It took a while for me to come around to that. It come, that's probably a metaphor. It took a while for me to reach that conclusion but I understand now a lot clearly, especially being a dad, when you speak to your children, it's better to be as clear as possible. Um, also dealing with uh, uh, the way that uh, dealing with VGQ, uh, uh, dealing with other people, other family members, I have to realize that, uh, you know, we're all going through different types of struggles, different types of ups and downs, and we're all dealing with being underneath the system of white supremacy in our own way. So sometimes you have to meet people where they, sometimes you have to be more patient with your own folks, especially knowing the the situation and the circumstances that we are, uh, that we are dealing with. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much, thank you so much for uh, the broadcast, all of the broadcasts that you put out during the week, they really, really keep me nice and focused. And uh, thanks a lot. Wow. Grand first time caller. Uh, hope you're able to join us again if it's worthy of your time and energy. And uh, always patience 
emphasize that regularly, trying to be patient with other victims. Uh, we are unfortunately not born having correct information about white supremacy, racism, and sometimes it can be difficult uh, for us to process. We've been given so much toxic, uh, faulty, illogical uh, information and faulty concepts uh, for our time on the planet that when you start to get correct information, uh, it can be difficult, uh, especially correct information about racism, white supremacy. Like, wow, that is not exactly pleasant information to digest, but truth is needed. So I'm glad to hear that. And hopefully your patience will uh, reward you, uh, especially dealing with other victims of racism. Maybe you can give us the update. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have questions, comments, if you have, especially if you have like suggestions, if you figured out some counter racist codification for the job that works to help solve problems, man, that is always super appreciated. Would love to hear from you. Uh, if you have problems and you would uh, like counter racist suggestions or perspectives, certainly that is always welcome. Uh, folks who dialed in, if we've not heard from you, proceed. While folks uh, are spectating, uh, one of the people that wrote in, make sure that I do not uh, miss all the folks who wrote in. So when I did the broadcast earlier this week, I was talking about yoga teacher training and the adjustments that uh, doing like physical adjustments for the postures where you as the instructor, you actually go and are touching the student's body and kind of repositioning them and what have you. And I was saying this is the age where Bill Cosby is supposed to be branded a sexually violent predator. Uh, I am not, you know, putting my mitts on anybody, especially some stranger uh, in a class and grabbing them by the hips and whatnot. Like, come on. Anyway, I asked if we have listeners, if your occupation requires you to do any sort of touching of folks, how have you, you know, adjusted your code uh, to be able to get through that without being accused or, you know, all the other things that could come up as a result of that. Uh, and so we did have uh, folks write in uh, email. Uh, I was thinking that, oh, we got suggestions as well. I asked for suggestions about ways that I could uh, teach yoga to exclusively non-white people. That is uh, the only way I think I would be willing to teach uh, or be a yoga instructor is if I had an environment where I know, guaranteed, I would be exclusively teaching to non-white and preferably black students. That's it. So that was first portion. Getting to the workplace racism. Uh, as a therapist who works with clients who have hand injuries, spine injuries, and lymph lymphedema, etc., I have to perform manual therapy and provide direct physical contact with clients all day. My code is that I always ask permission to touch them, and I verbalize to them why I'm touching, where I will be touching, and how the touch should and should not feel. And if possible, I even demonstrate what I will do to them on myself. I will condense the instructions with repeated visits, but I always ask permission to touch them no matter how long I have been working with them. This is my code no matter how long I have been treating the person and no matter if they are white or 
non-white, non-white black female who is without justice know that experience very well. Not the black female part. Um, I think that's great. We are supposed to ask permission at the beginning of every class uh, to let people know and to give people the opportunity to opt out if they don't want to be touched. So that is going to be ironclad. That is something that I've noticed that not all instructors do ask permission. Uh, and then even though they don't ask permission, they still come around and put their mitts on people. Um, but asking permission every single time. And then this is exactly, you know, what I'm going to be doing. And that I think that's great to be as clear as possible. I still would feel some type of way if I was having to touch a white. I didn't ask this person doing physical therapy. Uh, do you, uh, are you like going to a person's house or are they coming to you? Like, where's this at? That would be maybe interesting to add on if we have folks out there who are doing any sort of uh, contact. Is this happening where you might have to go to the person's residence? Does the code change uh, there? If you're a male and you're having to do this with a female, does your code change? If you're a female, you're doing this to a male, does your code change? If you're a non-white person, you're doing this to a white person as opposed to a non-white person, does your code change? Just curious uh, for any folks who your occupation, some aspect of it may require you to actually place your hands uh, on another person, especially in an intimate way. Uh, if folks have a code they would be willing to share, I'm definitely looking to, because that is code that I do not have. So I'm having to make that up as I go. Uh, folks, we've not heard from, if you have commentary you would like to share, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. Greetings, everyone. Uh, I, I heard uh, the, the uh, somewhat of the question, and uh, I've heard the first part of it. It kind of like uh, got me a little bit excited because I, I actually was going to uh, give a uh, report on uh, something that happened, uh, of course, not on my job because I'm retired, uh, but, uh, in the work in the medical workplace hospital, uh, that involved touching, uh, uh, as one can figure out, you know, with the, uh, fire department, uh, you're going to be touching a lot of people. Uh, I, I know when I say fire department, uh, people think about fires, but uh, just about everywhere, uh, for the most part, most of the calls that firefighters go on are not fires. It's, it's medical, emergency medical uh, 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 and, and situations, uh, so you are touching people. But uh, my uh, reported experience that I wanted to report took place uh, maybe about an hour ago. Uh, had to transport, uh, my, uh, sister, uh, who's in charge with my mother, uh, had to transport her, uh, via fire rescue to, uh, the, uh, hospital. Uh, her condition is basically, uh, it, uh, just, you know, stable, uh, for, for her age and her condition. Uh, but, uh, you know, another visit to the hospitals. You know, just to just to uh, paraphrase, paraphrase everything, and uh, so the situation now uh, that you 
that you have a situation where non-white people are in the midst of uh, the uh, medical uh, a medical atmosphere called a hospital. Uh, down here in South Florida, uh, I would say most of the personnel and most of the uh, physicians uh, are uh, white people whose primary language is Spanish. They also speak English, of course. Their primary language is Spanish. Uh, and in turn, uh, with, to, on the subject of, uh, uh, of the uh, medical profession, basically, you know, race of the white supremacy of course, all of us know it, it fluctuates everywhere in all aspects. It doesn't make, make a difference what people activity that you're involved in. Uh, being that we're talking about right now, I'm talking about the medical profession, of course, is in there. Uh, basically, the, uh, the white people in, in that uh, atmosphere basically have their, your life or some loved one of yours life in their hands. Uh, in a lot of cases. And uh, they kind of like have you in a situation where they can uh, carry out their shenanigans and and with the advent that, you know, if you react unfavorably to their shenanigans, that, you know, the idea that, hey, you know, I mean, uh, that is your mom, isn't it? You know, I mean, not literally saying it, but you know, the attitude could transfer to that person. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, the incident was, uh, you know, one of these uh, RNs stepping on my feet. And uh, she did it once, and she did it, she did it again. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I, I said, excuse me, twice, in, in a nice way. Not excuse me as, as opposed to, excuse me, you know, wasn't like that. It was like, excuse me, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, the second time, she reacted by trying to touch me on my shoulder. And I put my hand up and said, I don't, I don't want to be touched. But excuse me, that's <laughs> basically what I said. But, uh, you know, I, I just, it was just a thought that I've been having since I've been having this experience as one-fifth of uh of uh, my uh, mother's uh, uh, children uh, that uh, in, in, in the period of time that she's been in hospice care and also directly uh, within the uh, hospital itself and, uh, and learning a lot, you know, uh, match with the book, the fantastic book, uh, Medical Apartheid, you know, it really, uh, it really is like in a, uh, a real good uh, uh, I and I won't. I don't want to use a metaphor. It's a really good learning process. I put it that way. Very good learning process on understanding and studying the global system of racism, white supremacy, and how it's actually is uh, infected in all nine areas of activity and every activity where white people at they bring it with them. And uh, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Much obliged for sharing, uh, retired firefighter. I know uh, I'm sure many listeners, and myself included, uh, wish the best uh, for your mom. Thoughts, prayers uh, to her, and hope that she's able to get out of there, get out of the uh, racist clutches uh, as soon as possible. Uh, but we've talked about pretty consistently with regards to touching in the workplace uh, and having a code, and that's just another one so that 
hey, I'm solid. This is exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, and this is my limit in terms of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Uh, and we've talked about, it. I think Ivy, she said, I don't do handshakes. Uh, I don't do any of that. And I have my, I already have my words together for what to say, what not to say. Uh, we talked about Emmy. She's talked about repeatedly uh, about having uh, her code, any sort of grabbing like that on the shoulder. Or sometimes they'll come up from behind you and try to uh, do the, the back rub type of thing or grab that. Hey, moving away immediately it might be a snatch away if you're seated it might be a standing up uh it might be a taking your hand and just moving the hand away or you can just verbally to whoa <laughs> i don't need to be touched thank you kindly and we can just go about our business but not being surprised uh about racist abundant all that pawing that's exactly what i've been saying for the past week i don't know why i was not uh I was I I was surprised. Maybe I was not on code as I should have been, but I was not prepared for all of the pawing uh, to come up uh, in in class. But, yeah, I've been saying that for a week, all of this pawing in this environment and in general in a system of white supremacy, which demands a lot of molesting rape, sexual. I mean, that is just rife uh, throughout the system. Uh <laughs> Let's really try to cut back on, not just be mindful, but let's try to minimize the amount of unnecessary pawing uh, that's going on so we can reduce opportunities uh, for these sort of, uh, sort of things to take place. But great job. I, I think that that is phenomenal. I think that's always illustration of black self-respect uh, when black people uh, set up boundaries about how whites are going to access their body uh, and even restricting white access to our bodies in any way. I think that is Stir, uh, outstanding illustration of black self-respect, in my view. Can I can I say something brief, Gus? Yes, sir. Uh, about a little bit about my my personality is that I'm not a touchy feely person. Period. Even to to even to non-white people. My my mother used to say she used to have to kind of like go out of her way to 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 hug me. You know, that sort of thing, because I wasn't that type of person. But I do, I, with, with people who, who deserve it, I, I do care. I do show care through action with them. But the, the, the huggy type of thing, I'm not that way. So that's what makes it very easy for me with, with, the, with a stranger or, or, or a, a white person, you know, that, that you know, I'm, I'm on alert with it, you know, and I, I always have been. And uh, even, this, even the situation of, of handshaking, uh, uh, I, I, I took my, I had to, I had to take my car to get uh, repairs that was some damage that was done to it. And the guy wanted to shake my hand. I said, I'm just out here for business, <laughs> you know, and, uh, cause I didn't put my hand out, you know, as far as that concern. And, uh, yeah, that's all I to say. Thanks. Keep it business. Keep it business. Big advocate of that black self-respect uh, and just having boundaries and, and being consistent about, you know, how you want to be touched and how you allow people to touch. Because that comes up even I don't want to get off topic, but that comes up a lot in the system of white supremacy. And it definitely comes up a lot in the context of the job. Don't be surprised. I wish people had told me about that years ago and not being surprised and being prepared to make sure that you can uh, protect the boundaries of your own body at all times and do that proudly. Other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, uh, if we've not heard from you at all, proceed. Hello, Nancy. Yes, ma'am. Hello, um, everybody, and good evening to the host. This is Irie in New Orleans, and um, 
I'm kind of catching up on uh, the show, but uh, excuse me, um, something I've wanted to share uh, thoughts on really quick was when I heard the story about the uh, court clerk and the female, the white female that was exchanging her uh, sexual, uh, you know, stories with him. Um, I don't know if anybody said this because I couldn't finish the episode yet. But I really did, if he's listening, wanted to ask him to tell her next time she approaches him um, to ask her, why are you telling me this? What makes you think, you know, I want to know this about you? And then just wait for a response. And then, I, you know, I would suppose logically whatever the response is, oh, I thought that you were open-minded or I thought that you were you know, a, a little bit, whatever, whatever she says, I would say, you know, I really don't want to look at you, you know, uh, any differently than I do as one of my fellow coworkers. So, you know, we shouldn't discuss it. And that way, you know, to uh, tip the, you know, tip the scales where she's a little bit ashamed of herself, hopefully, and would certainly second guess mentioning anything um, outside the courtroom, <laughs> let alone sex to him. Um, and it was uh, two other things I'll share briefly in regard to touching people, whether it's um, people you're helping work out or like patients. I used to be a mental health tech, and the people were profoundly disabled. And I would still say, pardon my touch, I'm going to, you know, dot, dot, dot. Like the um, person that wrote in said, I would explain it. I would even um, gesture like she explained to and then because I was in a mental health um, position and would have to document, I would also document exactly what I did. And um, the last thing I want to share is recently I started working for a ride share company and the responses of the European American patrons to um, my political views and um, music has been um, very interesting. I found that the more I take, play pop music that um, either does not contain non-white um, voices or does, but has that, um, not to be metaphorical, but sounds like CNC Music Factory, that gospel with the pop dance sound, as long as it's something like that, I get very high ratings. Um, a young uh, homosexual white man even went out of his way to tell me, you know, this has been one of the best rides I've ever had. The music was absolutely perfect. Is your playlist online, you know, um, one of the sharing apps, I guess where you can share like Pandora or whatever, which I didn't realize you could share a playlist, but he was asking if he could um, find it and everything because it was the most perfect ride with the perfect music. And, and there were no non-white people for the most part um, in the playlist. And thank you very much for letting me share. I'll meet my line. Thank you. Much obliged, folks down in Louisiana. This is, let me see, 13-year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina coming up. 13 years. Uh, the portion about the music, because we just had a listener uh, last week on the Neutralizing Workplace Racism segment. Uh, he, a uh, person wrote in, and we're talking about uh, doing ride-sharing and they were talking about music and they said that or they, uh, they mentioned two things. They said, one, the music, they said that they had uh, white passengers complained about their music and I guess gave them 
negative reviews or something. And that was a part of it. And it was, I think he said he was playing uh, like Robert Glasper experience. If people don't know, you should Google. I love Robert Glasper experience. They are extraordinary, but I mean, these are black uh, musicians, but he said he was playing like Robert Glasper and, you know, some other stuff. And they griped about that. The other uh, point that he raised, he said that he had a white person who said that they had like extensively reviewed his profile online and i guess he's you know done a lot of trips it was you know like hundreds i I think i'm purposely like minimizing it may have been more than that but like hundreds of trips or whatever and so this person had went through like all of the reviews or trips or whatever that was available uh on his profile which again just in my view racist man racist woman racist child they are not ignorant about the system of white supremacy studying negras that is their primary job anywho uh with the ride here i would just man that's another one that i think can be uh kind of dangerous we've had a number of people who've talked about that and some of the the hazards uh and problems that can be presented there i would i would have an iron clad code to make sure that i am safe uh in all of that, because I think there have been so many incidents of uh, particularly intoxicated whites uh, doing the ride sharing and becoming terroristic uh, before they get to point B. So I would have a really solid code to stay safe. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from at all, if you have commentary on what w- what's been shared thus far, perhaps we'll have our caller in Florida who can give us the update. Uh, but thoughts on what's been shared thus far or if you have your own situation? Proceed. Have you heard? Thomas in New York. Good to hear from you, sir. Good to hear from you as well, Gus. Good to hear from all the callers. Um, you know, workplace racism. Dealing with it is always um, things, the same terrorist is always terrorizing. Um, today, um, I was dealing with um, another terrorist, um, but she um, she comes off a lot more pleasant, um, but she's one of these people that tells you to do something, and then um, within a matter of an hour, she'll come back and forgot what she just told you to do, and um, you could be doing what she told you to do, and she'll come back like, why are you doing it that way? And like, oh, this is how we discussed it, and then everything is, let's have another meeting about it. It's, it's very difficult. Nothing's in writing. Everything is on the fly. Um, and um, this is also the person in charge of human resources. So she, um, it was review time, so I got a review. Uh, I had to review myself. I hate doing that. Um, they asked me like seven or eight questions, and uh, I tried to answer them. And um, as, as codified as possible, you know, without... Man, the, the, the way the questions were worded, in fact, um, the next show, I'm going to print it off and I can read the questions, you know. I mean, I, I, either way, we we, did, uh, we didn't get a chance to discuss the um, review. She kept putting it off until the next day until she's busy. So, um, you know, I started to think, oh, man, is this bad or what? So then, um, you know, one day it was uh, last Friday, she calls me in the room. Um, and says, you know, um, we did your review, and um, I have been busy, and I haven't gotten a chance to go over it with you. Um, and I know I've, you know, had you lingering, um, but it was, it's not bad. 
Um, you, you got to raise, um, and we'll discuss it, you know, but, um, you know, you only been here six months, so, you know, it's not a big raise, it, you know, either way. So I, I felt a little bit better. So finally today, um, we go over this review, um, and it was only about five minutes it took. So, I mean, we, we could have did this in one of our long conversations about her changing her mind. But either way, um, as far as the whole thing went, the terrorist who's always terrorizing me ultimately the person that weighed in on everything. Um, she went by her word because she works with me more than the person who's doing the actual review. And um, surprisingly, she didn't give me a, a bad review. It was very pretty good. The only thing that was in it was that she, um, she wants me to come to her more so she can um, help me make more decisions. And I said, this sounds exactly like her. Um, she wants to make every decision. Um, you know, can I go to the bathroom? Yes, okay. You know, like that type of situation. Um, the white male that I, um, I told you before, I thought um, each boy um, tried to zip him me up. Um, so okay. um, he tells me um, uh, the other day he comes in the kitchen while I'm cutting fruit. And he's one of the people that like to come in and, hey, man, can I just take a couple of these? You know, I don't, you know. So I just be like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I can't tell him no. So either way, um, he comes in there and this white female passes. Now this white female is, uh, I, I would equate her to a white female that white men would be attracted to. Um, blonde hair, very tall, um, you know, just Barbie-ish looking. And um, she walks past and he grabs his cane like it's his penis, like, you know, he puts it like a penis and he holds it up, like, as she walks past him, like, you know, and I thought he was gay up until that point where he could still be gay, you know, but so he went on to start talking about her in a very derogatory way, you know, things he would do to her, and I just thought that was extremely odd, and um, this person as well, I looked him up, um, got the marketing, a photographer came and took pictures of all the the, the partners and directors and things, and he's a director. And um, he's one of the people um, that put together the program. I mean, this dude is, uh, if you've seen him, you, you would think, not this guy. He's, he put together the founding member of the program for the Israelis to train the U.S. Um, police department. He's on that, one of the founding, I, I have the, um, paper with the actual acronym uh, and the name of it. I don't want to butcher it. Um, but um, um, nonetheless, um, the, the file situation, I think the last time we spoke, I was telling you that I was having problems um, with the files. Um, the lady who gave me the review, the HR head lady, the person that's, you know, supposedly my boss, and the person that's always terrorizing me who's the owner's secretary, and um, also the office manager, I suppose. Um, she, um, I, the guy wouldn't take the file, so I had to put them back, you know, by the cabinets, or the file cabinet. So the white lady came and looked past the mean one, you know, the one that's always terrorizing me, and she um, says, why are these files here? And I explained to her the situation. So when the HR lady came over, I mean, she ripped this other white lady, I mean, it was just terrible. I mean, I felt like, my God, I'm just so glad she's not doing this to me. You know, someone else finally got it. But uh, so, of course, that trickled right over to me. 
you know, well, you Thomas, you got to do something about these files. And I'm like, well, we've already discussed this. I was, what do you want me just put it in his office? I don't care what anyone says. So now um, they put me in a situation where I'm forcing files on people who own the company. And, you know, they could just snap their finger and get rid of me. But, you know, they don't want it there. I'm putting it there anyway. I feel like it's just a terrible situation and the way everything is being managed is horrible. But, um, you know, this is how they, they work things. And um, a lot of times these partners are saying just throw things out and they're not looking at it, but they just don't feel like being bothered. And this is important stuff that they need to look at. So, you know, it's like um, I don't really want to throw it out because it, it'll come back to me. So it, it's a real tough um, situation. Um, they hired a new worker. And this lady is a French white, a white lady from France, an older person, um, very, very um, prominent wrinkles in her face, um, small little white lady. But either way, um, she smells like an old, I mean, you know, I guess they wear that strong perfume. Oh, my God. She smells like, you know, old women perfume. And she's the most annoying thing, I swear. I would deal with the, the one who's always terrorizing me before this lady. And um, she keeps um, jamming the Xerox machine that's in my little office space. And I keep telling her that what she's doing is jamming the machine, and she keeps doing the wrong thing because she doesn't want to hear, feel as though she has to listen, you know. And then she um, breaks it when she tries to fix it instead of telling me, listen, jammed again, and I go and fix it. And it's just... She's just the worst. I mean, she's she's involved everyone the wrong way, she, and I, I see the attitude of this lady. You know, just different um, dealing with um, white people from uh, other places. Is they're very um, like they'll just go in your drawer. It's like um, you know, excuse me, you know, and, and no, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I was looking for the stapler. Yeah, but you asked. You know, um, you don't know what I have in my drawer. Oh, you know what. You know, we don't do that where I'm from. Where that's how it works here. You know, but you know, just one of those type of situations. And thank you guys for listening and everyone else. Context of white supremacy. Much obliged, Thomas in New York. Uh, before I get my commentary about those possessive possessive adjectives, the white woman who made sure that you got a little extra cornbread. Uh, not the one that did the review, but the one who's been terrorizing you, who had the, the real say about your, your cornbread. Is this the same white woman who stole your nuts previously? Yeah, she, she's the, the white woman who likes to eat black nuts, I guess. Yes, sir. Context of white supremacy. Uh, the possessive uh, adjective very important I brought that up uh, I don't know if it's been years yet on that one I feel like that's a newer aspect of the code something that took me some time to think about but I have been saying it for a while it's not new uh, when it comes to the job uh, it's not even my job it's not my desk uh, I think that's very important uh, for us to keep that in mind because exactly what Thomas said they will be rifling through not your desk their desk <laughs> might be rifling through your nuts, uh, whatever it is that you leave around uh, in the office. So you just have to be mindful of that. Uh, racists, I mean, their job is terrorizing black people uh, and they do not take vacations. They don't take breaks. Uh, that is a constant 
uh, activity. So just be mindful of that. Uh, and I mean, they might come out with any sort of tacky. Oh, yeah. You know, we, that was just the work environment that we had on a previous job. You know, if you could just say, oh, if you needed something and person wasn't in their office, you could just go in and get what you got me. Hey, we're not stealing anything. We're all one family. What are you talking about? Tom, I'm not stealing from my. They will say anything. You're under surveillance and just be mindful uh, of that. They're probably rifling through your desk the moment that you get up uh, to, you know, go to the bathroom or get anything get a snack uh in the the office that uh i remember that with the files because uh, it had been a while since we got the update on that piece of it but whites they do that sort of thing regularly where it is it might be one white person who is causing a problem or maybe it's you know a couple whites who are in conflict with one another but as opposed to just going to the white person who is causing the problem address it directly and we get all this solved we find a way to get a black person who has no power at all over any of these individuals, get some victim of racism, get them involved so that maybe every white person gets an opportunity to fuss at this black person while the problem has never been solved because we never went to the white person who started all this. Like they love that's that is their main activity above and beyond anything else. And if these are attorneys, who knows what type of, you know, legal documents and what have you are being tossed around and people's lives are being held around while oh, I would just make Thomas wag that over there again. Oh no. Wag it back over there. Wag that over there, Thomas. Why is it still here? Practicing racism, white supremacy, and finding ways to abuse black people in the meantime. They got some, and it's worse than lawyers. These are accountants. I mean, these are people's trust. I'm like, man, it's crazy. Um, one thing, man, this lady that terrorizes me, like I said before, she's from Ireland. And um, she's real short. I mean, very leprechaunish. And um, this summer, she has turned so many colors. I mean, I get the heebie-jeebies just looking at her. I mean, it's like a reddish. She has these dark spots. And I'm starting to think this is probably why they weren't allowed to be called white. When they first came here, you know, of course, they done mixed in with the other whites now. And, you know, they probably don't or have the natural um, thing like she got. But, I mean, just totally, I mean, her, I, I got to stand over her while she cuts the bill. She wears these very, um, you know, stringy shirts, you know, where her whole shoulder and back is out. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, it's such a difficult thing to look at. And, um... Uh, I got a picture of what um, came over the, the copy machine. So um, generally, if I'm sitting there and I have a little downtime, I'll pick up the cop, you know, all the copies and deliver them to the people's desk, you know, just so that you know, I, no one will come in there looking for it anyway. So you know, I get rid of it, and that way, you know, I have a little bit more downtime when I get back. And um, I, I took all the stuff over, and one of them was a picture. You know, of course, I looked through them. And um, it was a picture of this partner um, um, who's on, on vacation, and he's so deep red. And um, his secretary told me that um, you know he thought he had um, skin cancer because he had some spots that came up, um, and she couldn't believe that he went to this island. There, and him and his wife are on this island. And nobody else is on the island but them. I mean, this this guy makes you know a pretty penny. So, but um. You know, when I saw the picture, it, it, you know, once again, it's just, uh, but I'll mute my line. Thank you, Gus. Context of white supremacy. 
when we did teacher training on Sunday, I think I did mention this. I requested if we could go up on the rooftop, which we did. It's been like 83 degrees every day since, I don't know, Saturday uh, here in Seattle. Sunny, 80 degrees every single day, which is what it was Sunday. We went on the roof. I think within about five minutes, they had broken out every bottle of uh, sunscreen that they could. And I think within about 35 minutes, uh, half of the group had disappeared. So we can't take it. Got to get out of here. It's just too hot. Got to. And now, I mean, again, put that in context, 83 degrees. I don't know what the temperature is in Florida, Vegas, <laughs> where uh, red is, but I'm pretty sure the vast majority of folks, uh, at least the folks in the, uh, what is that? Northern hemisphere, uh, I think would take 83 degrees with no humidity. We don't have all that ugly Louisiana. Yes, Lord. Louisiana, I think Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, I think would trade 83 degrees with a breeze as a daytime high. Whites were suffering. Couldn't take it. 30 minutes. Got to get out of here. Get going back downstairs. Lost half of the group. 30 minutes. Couldn't even get through a whole episode of Scandal. Uh, Other folks that dialed in, number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Folks, we missed completely. If you have a hand up, proceed. May I be heard? Yes, sir. I spoke a little bit earlier, and I wanted to uh, wait until uh, the uh, racism on the uh, job show, but lo and behold, this is it. Uh, unfortunately, I missed the beginning, but I will catch uh, the YouTube video when it comes back. Um, but I wanted to say, because every time when I listen to the show, I always think, you say in the beginning, if you if you're at a job that you have not experienced any of the typical situations that we go through in employment, please speak up. So I'm currently uh, employed in a situation. I work in IT. I'm a system analyst. Uh, I'm currently, it's a, it's a promotion and a raise. First, I just got to this new job. I've been there for a few months. I, I worked it directly. It's at, it's at a hospital. I'm sure the brother from New York, the caller from New York, will be familiar with. It's in New York. Uh, and I've been there for three months. Now, when I interviewed for the job, it was for a contract position. And in my field, you get a lot of contract positions. Uh, and it's very unstable. You can never relax. You're always job hunting because you're someplace for six months, and then they let you go and you go someplace else, and you're someplace else for six months, and they let you go, and you're someplace else. The pay is decent, but your life is constantly in shambles because you're, you're stressed out. You're always looking for another job. You, you don't know. You're on pins and needles every day. For any reason, they'll let you go. You don't really get to advance in your career because you don't get to do new and challenging things, so there's a lot of information that you just won't get your hands on. So, so I, uh, I interviewed for this job, and it was just for a contract position. But the, the, the brother I interviewed with was a non-white Caribbean brother. And he chose to hire me directly. 
so now I'm working for the city. And pretty much everyone in my office is uh, non-white people. And the hospital is in the area where there's non-white people. So it's prosperity by omission. <laughs> uh, there are white doctors in the hospital there, but they are silent and they don't behave as they normally do because there's a lot of black people and uh, Latino, non-white, Spanish-speaking people around. Uh, so they don't behave as they normally do. I've worked in accounting firms. I've worked in lawyers and, and I've worked down in the Wall Street area and they, they I'm, I'm familiar with all of the tricks. They're all there. They're all there. All of the tricks of the trade are on full display. But in this case, <laughs> no, don't even say good morning. Don't even say anything. You just walk by and you go in and I do my work and I'm in my office and it's, it's me and there's another uh, non-white black person there, and, and uh, my boss is a non-white black person, and there are a couple of non-white uh, Spanish-speaking people and uh, a non-white uh, Arabic Muslim brothers there, and there's a, another few of them there. It's 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 amazing, um, but so far so good, and none of the usual things. I'm learning stuff. He's showing me stuff. He's patient. He doesn't put me in the task without giving me uh, training before the new task. And I mean, I'm a fish out of water. This is, this job is actually very, very, uh, next level from what I normally do, but he's so patient with me and the, and the guy's younger than my boss is younger than me by a few years. Um, and you know, he's so patient and we deal with it. So I'm, I don't want to ramble on, but this is so far, this is a situation that seems to be working and it's only prosperity by omission. Um, thank you for listening. Hmm. Well, that's. Uh, I'm glad there have been, I guess, no difficulties uh, thus far. And if it's, you don't have to have a lot of direct contact with whites and the black people that you work with are patient, sharing constructive information and helping you out uh, on the job so that you can succeed, do well. And as I said, move right on up the ladder, as they say, well, then bravo outstanding i guess uh for most people that probably is not going to be something that they can replicate to subtract whites from their workplace so that they can get uh a predominantly white or exclusively uh predominantly non-white or exclusively non-white work environment but uh at least for i guess in, in your situation that's great because i i have heard from people who work in environments that don't have very many white people or none and they still have a very toxic environment because there's so much anti-blackness like it just because there's no whites doesn't mean that there are going to be lots of patient co-workers uh, who train you adequately and, you know, make sure that every day is just a peaceful, constructive experience. <laughs> like we, we have heard a lot of people who experience a lot of toxicity and anti-blackness in environments that are void of whites. So at minimum, I'm glad to hear that it's been a constructive uh, experience for you thus far, sir. Other folks who, I guess, if and be mindful, if, if anything happens, I guess you can let us know or, or give us updates. But hopefully it'll continue for a long, long time until you get ready to retire uh, decades from now. Uh, other, Well, I won't say decades from now. Hopefully you can retire soon and put your time and energy towards <laughs> replacing white supremacy with justice. Uh, other folks. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, full disclosure. Full, sorry. Full disclosure. There is one 
make one white woman there who tends to like to get up, mess with names. She tends to pick out names. That's her thing. Whenever she hears a name, but she gets drowned out. Then there's another elderly, uh, not elderly, more like in her fifties, dusty blonde. And she doesn't speak a word ever, but you can just see she's kind of like seething. Uh, but the the other one, she she picks at names, oh, Bunquisha and things like that. But it, she gets drowned out. It's it's, it's weird. It's amazing. Mm, the names again. The names again. Standard operating uh, procedure. Uh, just gotta find a way to disrespect uh, black people's titles, black males and black females. Standard operating procedure. Uh, some of the folks that wrote in. Uh, with regards to workplace racism. Black female. Uh, since I'm the only black female in my department at this point, white, uh, my, my white supremacist boss has been able to practice racism against me without backlash. One of my white coworkers, when she feels like taking a two-hour lunch, she will drop her work off on my desk. I usually take her work and put it right back on her desk. My white coworker will then run to my white supremacist boss and get her to instruct me to complete this work because this lady has so much work to do that she needs help. This lady is always playing victim and expects me to care that she has so much work to do, which is a lie. My white supremacist boss has been, in her words, monitoring me. She has multiple people check on me. She monitors my emails and calls. When I come in, there's always a white person coming over to my desk to see if I'm there. She has white employees pretend to look for files or whatever so they can watch and spy on me. The white supremacist boss will try to pin my white co-worker's mistakes on me. She gets upset when she can't blame me and refuses to acknowledge the white employee's mistakes. I'll pause here even though there is one more uh, paragraph just to try to, to get things. This is where I say um, employee or whites in general, they know it's incorrect. If you ever hearing, uh, hear someone say to a black person or to a non-white person, you know, work capacity, oh, don't compare yourself to other people. That is total nonsense uh, in a work situation, uh, starting with the lunch situation. Uh, that's one right there uh, where it's going to be. This has got to be compared to everybody our lunch policy is uh, is enforced whatever it is if you get 30 minutes for lunch if you get an hour for lunch whatever it's supposed to be or even if it's you can take uh, a two-hour lunch but that does not mean i get to take a two-hour lunch and then i get to come in and complain that you know my work is is off schedule most places that i know are not going to allow for a two-hour lunch break that's what i mean about document and then i would just ask questions you know what is what is happening with how we allocate our time uh, that is causing people to get behind in the amount of work that's done. Cause I mean, this is one I'm sure we can look at caseloads or whatever it is, how many uh, reports or projects is this person, uh, this person working on how many am I working on? If we have an equal amount of work, why is it that this person is consistently behind and needing help when we have an equal workload, then we can start looking at how we allocate time. Oh, this person is taking two hour lunch breaks. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe it's not that she needs me to help her with her work. Maybe she needs to make sure that she's only taking a 30-minute lunch break or hour or whatever it's you know supposed to be. With the surveillance, all of us, 
you should just expect that, particularly 2018, that you, I don't care if that's all you do all day is cut bananas. You're under surveillance. Uh, they're going to have uh, everything that you say transcribed. You should just automatically uh, accept that under, under the system of white supremacy. That's not anything to be upset about. That's not anything to be stunned about. That is the plantation 2018. Uh, and function accordingly with regards to what you say, what you don't say uh, in those environments. Uh, with Yeah, in this environment, if you know the accusations, that's why I've stated consistently, always take any sort of accusations against you in a work environment seriously. That's not saying that you uh, curse out or begin yelling, but that's never anything to joke about or to minimize. I would want that investigated, and that's the sort of language that I would uh, use. Let's investigate this to see if there's any merit uh, to this accusation, because if I'm at fault, hey, I want to get this corrected immediately to make sure that I'm in compliance. But if this is meritless, then we should find that out as well. So let's go ahead and get this investigated. Always be zealous about it, especially if you are zealous about being in compliance with policy and procedure that you know, like the back of your hand. It's not Saturday, so I can invoke the metaphor. Uh, you know the policy and procedure, so you are in adherence as often as you can be. So you know, hey, I'm zealous. Let's investigate. If I find out that uh, I am not in compliance, then I can correct that immediately. And this will be a learning opportunity for everyone. But be very serious about any charges of misdoing, particularly if you think it's a situation like this person is writing about where whites, other whites, other racists are causing problems, but they're trying to blame them on you. Well, then let's vigorously investigate everyone and see where it goes. If it's, oh, it's coming up someplace else. Well, then fine. Then see if we can generate as much documentation around that as possible. But I would be gleeful, not an attitude. Let's go ahead and, and see what's there. If there's uh, smoke, let's see if there's any fire. Uh, she continues, my white supremacist boss is quite dangerous. She's married to a black male and her supervisor is a black male. She's extremely calculating. Anytime she wants to practice racism, she will send her black male boss after me to carry out her racism the black uh the black supervisor has absolutely no power and he knows what she's doing but this place is so backwards i would be curious how you have concluded that this black male knows what she's doing i found frequently that many black people uh are not aware uh they might as understand some aspect but i found that generally speaking most non-white people we are not that informed at all continuing the supervisor has to carry out her racism to protect himself. I have a hard time referring to him as a victim since he makes sure to hurt and treat black clients unjustly. He is not unaware about his mistreatment towards black people. He is a willing participant, which makes this place extremely toxic. Now, see, that's what I've said. We talked about this regularly. I've seen a lot of situations, although there's a white person here, but I've been I've talked with many victims and we've had many sex uh, sessions of workplace racism where it ended up being victims that were blamed uh, or victims are somehow not thought of as victims. They have become willing participants in the system of white supremacy. And in my view, that is simply not logical. Uh, even if you did have a non-white person who understood every single aspect 
of white supremacy, if they are non-white and subject to the system of white supremacy, they're a victim. That's just logic. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it really nothing matters what they think about it, what they feel about it. If they're going along with it, they are subject to the system of white supremacy. So whites can order today, Bob, they don't call you Mr. or whatever, Bob, you're going to go down there and be rude to every single nigra in the cubicle. And hey, if you don't want to do it, no problem. We can fire you. You can not have a job too. They're really good at firing people. I mean, I think a lot of us have seen where this seems to be standard operating procedure. If you understand and accept that, does that make you a willing accomplice? In my view, no, I'm just following logic. If we want a plantation, which is the way that they would operate things, you get a non-white person to go out and do the lashing sometimes. Now, does that make him in charge of the plantation? In my view, that is not logical. And I don't really see what problem it solves. I guess that's the fast forward uh, in those type of situations. I think it is most important most important and logical the person who is most to blame for all of this is not that black male who could be replaced like snap of a finger it is that white woman you said yourself i can just go back and read what you said uh the white boss used my search feature on the uh computer bang the black supervisor has absolutely no power nothing else matters what he thinks about it what he feels about it whether he's doing this gleefully with a smile, whether he throws peanuts at you. I'll just read what it says again. The black supervisor has absolutely no power. I am in the business of following logic and dealing with the person who has the power to cause this problem or to solve this problem. That's the way that I think we should think in the workplace, because what happens, I'm just going by the evidence of what I've seen. What happens when you don't focus on the person who has power you just end up with a lot of emotion that does not really solve a problem. Because, I mean, you, we can all sit around and get mad at that black supervisor. Man, we have done tons of programs on the cows where that's all we did. Gripe and complain about that no good black supervisor. He's a coon and a Sambo and an Uncle Tom. Three cheers for coon of the month. We never get to solving problems. Even if it's going to be, okay, this person is rude and discourteous. Well, what can be done about that? Are there things that can be done to minimize this person being this black person being rude and discourteous with me? Yes, we've talked about that, but I've just noted frequently the conversation does not get to that. It just stays with this person is doing it willfully and they're a coon and an Uncle Tom. And who's with me? Coon of the month. That's why this person didn't do any name calling. But I'm just saying I've seen that consistently when it starts to be this person is not a victim. They are a willing accomplice in all of this. Uh, it almost starts to head into I think they're white. In fact, they're racist. That's the way that I think of them. Not a victim. I just don't think that that's logical. I'm a big, enormous advocate of following logic, not emotion in the workplace. Logic tends to solve problems when dealing with whites, especially on the job. If I have been talking nonsense, let me know. If we have folks that dialed in the number 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. And just make sure I wasn't just talking. Uh, we had Mr. Edward Williams, founder of counter-racism.com on the program. We asked him about that question specifically when you have uh, a black supervisor manager who's being discourteous, rude in the way that they talk to black employees specifically. What are some things that you could do? 
taking that electronically, where you start to ask questions electronically to get responses, that can be a great one to try to minimize the amount of verbal communication that you have and even asking questions about why am I being talked to in this manner? Is this a part of the company strategy in terms of how we talk to employees of the company? And you can even, is everyone in the company supposed to be talked to in this manner? Is this how the CEO is talked to? Is this how we talk to other employees? Is this how I'm supposed to talk to other folks that I speak with? Or if we have patrons, this is how I'm supposed to address them as well. There are questions that can be asked and especially taking that uh, communication electronically Many people are much more hesitant to write you a nasty company letter saying, you know, you know, good such and such and do this. Many people will not do that. Uh, They might talk real tough and nasty verbally or what have you, but they're probably not going to do that if they have to give you a written electronic response. But there were other suggestions as well that folks, you know, that is a serious problem. There are suggestions. There are ways that you can try to minimize that as well. Other folks who uh, have commentary, if we've not heard from you, proceed. If there's no one new, I was going to report again. Oh, there are other folks new. Uh, I'm trying to get the lines to cooperate. Uh, I will make sure that we get you as well, retired firefighter. Um, did I was I able to get any of right the on. Was I able to get any of the folks uh, line open who dialed in more recently with a hand up? Any of the newer callers, right? Was I able to get your line open? I will take that as a no. Uh, Give one second. I don't know why the switchboard is going a little slow to uh, show me the microphone hands again. I'll try and refresh my browser and, and see if that works. It's being a little slow to refresh for them. Oh, okay, here we go. All right, so let's try again. See if that... And it's still not doing it. Refresh the page again. The page for the switchboard is not behaving correctly. I do see the other folks who dialed in. I'm going to try one more time to see if I can get the switchboard to function correctly. Sorry for the folks who dialed in more recently. Difficulties. It's been summer of difficulties with different electronics. Uh, The archives and the switchboard being a little wonky today system i just told someone that expect opposition uh with regards to the system of racism white supremacy uh they will not make it easy uh in trying to undo their madness Uh, hmm well while i'm waiting for the switchboard to see if it will function correctly uh, retired firefighter, if you want to share, and hopefully I'll get this to work correctly, and we'll be able to get the other uh, folks who dialed in more recently. Yes, I, I was just going to uh, add on a report uh, that you uh, just finished, the subject you just finished uh, commenting on. 
and my experiences, uh, it was uh, on the in the fire service also. And uh, one thing that I I noticed that that basically had a level of of control uh, on that subject is that uh, just about all of the non-white black people uh, had an understanding that uh, racism existed in that particular profession, and uh, and at the same time with those who those uh, non-white people who basically were placed in a position to whereas uh, uh, they uh, uh, were contracted out, if you will, to uh, to uh, uh, practice anti-blackness, uh, that they also had to deal with those some of the very same people socially. Uh, because uh, I would think that most of us would agree that we are limited on where we stay at, <laughs> as far as that concerned. And... Uh, I'm not sure about what it is now, but I, I, I would I would figure that it hasn't broadened uh, that much further uh, with the numbers that's on the job because the job is something that uh, uh, kind of like we're feeling all of the things that a person would think necessary to be able to uh, uh, be compensated for and also uh, uh, retirement later on. Uh, so it, of course it's going to, by nature, it's going to be very few non-white black people on it. And it's, like I said, at the same time, you will see that person off duty. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you, it would be some sort of, and, and with me personally, I would, I, I, I have went directly to the person and, uh, engaged in conversation, uh, by asking questions on, you know, on, on, as far as the behavior. And, uh, normally I got, I got good results. I can't remember the case where it, uh, if that happened to me that I did not get some sort of constructive reaction, uh, uh, from it. Uh, although I would say it probably would exist with a higher positions. Uh, in other words, uh, they would have uh, non-white black people actually competing with one another for chief positions, especially the ones that that uh, the uh, director may hand out, and that will cause that problem. And uh, I think I think some of those relationships will be permanently negative, you know, as far as that concern. Uh, but uh, on my level, I, I don't think it. Uh, uh, I've ever had a situation to where as, uh, uh, after conversation, either at work or off duty. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily mean some cases I wasn't even looking for the person, but you know, they'd be at the same place that I'll be at as far as that concern, you know, everybody's nice then, you know, and then you basically, uh, ask the person, well, you know, uh, you know, the question, some sort of, uh, uh, situation that they uh, said or did that uh, that was uh, you know made kind of a job that's already tough tougher for you. Uh, I also was going to uh, to say something about uh, 
Uh, oh, one of the callers before you was mentioning about the, uh, the, the quote-unquote environment where there was a lot of non-white black people at, uh, in the profession that I was on every, every now and then, uh, it, that would occur. Uh, the, uh, I, I do recall white people had a name for it. They called it soul patrol, that sort of thing, uh, where every, uh, it was four, four people on the, on the fire truck and three on the rescue trucks. And sometimes, you know, you would have, uh, a combination with all, per, all of the personnel would be non-white black, uh, I would say at one point in time, myself and several others, Mr. Clark included, uh, we basically had a station like that. We actually orchestrated it over time because we started getting a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of seniority. And uh, we strategically bid it, bid it in. I actually could have, could have bid it into the station before several other guys did, but I chose to stay out so they can get the spot. Uh, and then I then I would come in and and and, and uh, bid a, a spot. So we ended up having a station like that. To whereas we basically was was saying, well, you know, these fire stations are, are located in the areas where non-white black people uh, stay at, and so we're going to have we're going to have uh, basically an open house type environment in the fire station. So you know, we we it'd be two three o'clock in the morning sometimes, and we would be having meetings. <laughs> You know, at the fire station, you know, that sort of thing. I wouldn't advise nobody to do this now, uh, but I'm just, you know, stating, you know, some uh, past history, you know, as far as that concern. But one thing I would say about it is that those type of situations uh, under the system of racist white supremacy, they don't last. They don't last long. They don't last long. White people do pay attention. They do pay attention if they see something that's being progressive uh, amongst black people. Uh, that sort of thing. They'll find some way to uh, dismantle it. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. And in a period of time, you know, you bid out and go other places. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, it just, what he was t talking about reminded me of, of that uh, that past atmosphere. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter. I think we got the switchboard difficulties resolved, at least temporarily. Uh, some of the folks that dialed in more recently with a hand up. Line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Codified software developer in Wisconsin. Yes, ma'am. Yes, good evening, Gus. Uh, good evening to the uh, listeners and the callers. Um, so your discussion on uh, blaming other non-white victims uh, for their behavior is timely this evening. I actually had a situation where I was uncodified this week. I was um, I was coming off of a weekend uh, where I was uh, a part of a family reunion committee that was working nonstop, and I was very tired on Monday, so that's my excuse. I really don't have an excuse, but. Anyway, so I was in a co-review with the uh, the non-white Indian male that works on my team and the white architect who's always deprecating him. And so previously, my, well, heretofore, my thought has always been about the non-white Indian male. He may be engaging in anti-blackness. I don't know. He, he doesn't he treat me incorrectly, uh, but he may be engaging in that with these other white people because he's um, 
because he's trying to fit in. He's trying to get on this architecture team. He's trying to do everything possible to be a part of this cool crowd, so to speak, quote, unquote. Um, and so I've, I've been mindful of that, but I said, you know, again, that anti-blackness is not his fault. Where, well, this day I was in this code review, I'm incredibly tired, and, um, you know, he and the white male are giggling about something, and I just snapped, and I was just like, oh, what are you two doing over there, playing footsie? And the white male does not respond to me with any rudeness. He responds about the non-white Indian male. He says, oh, not yet. And uh, and the non-white Indian male looked very angry, which he should. Um, and I was just thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, after that, that meeting, I was just thinking how incorrect I was, you know, knowing that he's a victim of white supremacy and knowing that his behavior is informed by the situation that we're in. And so I had to resolve to at least make an amends by changing my behavior, uh, changing my behavior towards him after that. Another quick anecdote, uh, I was in... I was at work yesterday, and uh, the non-white Indian male and I, we were talking, and I was looking at my badge, and my badge was broken. And he said, oh, it's cracked. And this the, one of the white males, the business analyst at my, uh, on the team, was like, oh, what is that, crack? And I was like, why would you ask that? Oh, I, I just thought I heard. I said, what would be the logical reason for you asking that? Oh, well, I, I don't know. And then, of course, my white Indian male tries to come to his defense. And, and the white male, oh, I don't know. I don't know why I asked that. I said, hmm, fascinating. And then turned away. With that, I will mute my line. Thanks so much for letting me share. Hmm. Not that uncodified. Brilliant. Like I, we always say that, even in the system of white supremacy, if if you're not pleased, sometimes we don't give the best effort or we, you know, would like to have done better or would like to have done something a little different. Woo! Racists will give you plenty of opportunities to try again. Woo! Great job. But the question that I wanted to ask was, uh, you said uh, you reflected after the incident with the non-white, non-black male and the footsie comment, and you said that you're moving forward, at least going to make amends by changing your behavior towards him, changing your behavior towards him how? Uh, just uh, not being, well, not being so petty, I guess. You know, not treating him so rudely. Like, it was a lapse of judgment. And I was thinking to myself, I had no business doing that. That was incorrect behavior. And so I need to change that incorrect behavior. Um, and treat him with the same tolerance and kindness that I would treat another black person, you know, because he is a victim. I hope that answers the question. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I do know that uh, for myself, I was talking about rest uh, earlier today with a victim of white supremacy and the importance of trying to get quality rest. And, you know, I can, it is huge when you don't get enough rest. So days that you know you're at work and if you're tired or stressed unusually tired and or unusually stressed uh in the system of white supremacy like really take that into uh account like those might be days where you don't have as much patience and you might have to uh amend your code especially uh to make sure that 
Wow. Other days I might be really crisp with my questions and this, that, and the other. Today I'm really tired. I don't have as much patience. I'm going to have to be, you know, maybe I might have to avoid <laughs> situations. I'm going to have to do a lot of uh, avoiding and just not doing a whole lot of commenting today because, you know, I'm grouchy, especially grouchy. Well, I'm grouchy every day, but I'm especially grouchy today uh, because I'm tired. Like, I think it's important to know that, you know, hey, we just don't have as much patience as we would. A little tired today. That can greatly impact how we function. Uh, much yeah, of- and um, Gus, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. One mm-hmm. more thing. Yes, um, I was going to actually call in on Monday, but I had scheduled the code review, and um, I felt felt like it would be incorrect to miss a meeting that I had scheduled. So um, that was why I was actually at work. But in in retrospect, I probably would have taken off. I take I had taken off Friday. I probably would have taken off Monday as well, uh, just to rest after doing all the work for my family reunion. So thanks. That 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 tip is always greatly appreciated. Hmm. It's I just I can you know I felt it in my body on days when I'm at work, and that's something that I, pro- I probably deserves more time. I think as a non-white person, there are far too many times that I can think of where I was at work where I was not adequately rested, and given the amount of terrorism that we face on the job it would probably be in our best interest to try to minimize the number of days that we're going to be on the job where we know, man, I am really tired. Like, you know, I need seven hours of sleep and, you know, I slept three hours last night or I need eight hours of sleep and I slept three hours last night. Like that, that used to be me on a regular basis. Uh, And I mean, I think Thomas in New York has talked about this like regular, regular, but lots of our listeners system of white supremacy uh, is major impact of the system of white supremacy is non-white people having really poor quality rest. Uh, and I just think for, for workplace racism especially would probably be more codified for all. I'm just thinking this is something I'd never even thought about before, but just hearing uh, codified software developers uh, commentary and thinking about my own experience, it would probably be better counter-racist code to make sure we minimize the number of days where we are really tired on the job because i think racist that that's the sort of thing that they can probably exploit like oh nigga looks like they were probably up with a little bit of that mad dog or snorting crack cocaine last night you know whatever they'll say uh oh yeah we're gonna go to work on them today we'll get them today they might be sharp the other days or whatever we're gonna really go to town with them today every nigga joke i can think of and everything i can possibly do to get on their nerves because they are looking a little droopy that's probably the sort of thing that the if all of us are reporting we're under surveillance we just had a person writing in that said you know folks are uh pretending to have files to look for so they can come and snoop on you if so many of and uh software developer has said the same thing talking about being under surveillance if so many of us are reporting that it would seem logical that they might pick up on that sort of thing looking a little tired today let's give them a little extra jab see if we can get something might be an important part of our code to adapt make sure we are rested as much as possible going on the job. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all, if you have a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. 
Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Uh, I think Gus, it was a was it a question earlier on about the uh, the my white coworker, and I, I guess when she had approached me about, I guess her um, breakup situation. Right. I think that was uh, Irie, our caller in Louisiana. She was uh, asking about, um, I guess, I think she was, it was almost uh, phrased hypothetically, like asking, why are you telling me this? And saying that I think her code would be to try to flip it back on the white woman to make her feel ashamed for sharing this sort of information. Uh, but if, if Irie, if you're still with us, if you want to rephrase your question make sure we got it correctly she might have uh dropped off but i know that was exactly what it was pertaining to the white woman uh who shared and she gave i guess her response but yeah i guess why was she sharing is that what you thought the question was yeah i i I did um pick up on that part of the uh the broadcast earlier and I would just, my response on that uh, would be was that there's a a strategy that I use um, because it's it's rare that that situation uh, often occurs where it's just me in there and it's just her in there. Usually my uh, black supervisor, a departmental supervisor is in there, the other black female. So I'll go and do one of my other, uh, two to three different tasks in the morning so I can avoid that. Or I'll just basically just say, um, I don't think that's appropriate to talk about here. And, or I will just check my messages. So it's plenty of ways that I could, um, in the foreseeable future do to pretty much avoid her in that way. That, that would be my response to that. Um, but there are a couple of things I wanted to share that I've, that I've uh, come across. Uh, number one is we had a, uh, it was a white person actually today, no, it was yesterday. He was asking me about, now this is a cowbell because it was a couple coming in to apply for a marriage license because we asked them had they applied online and had they read the, the handbook for uh, family marriages and stuff like that or whatever. So he, I had got back from break and he says, Hey, uh, Hey, sir, could you help me out with something? I was like, yeah, what's going on? So, and he says, uh, what would you, what would you have to put if you're classified as something? Uh, he, this person is Indian. Okay. So this person sitting, this is a white person talking to me now. And the person in the seat doing typing in the application, he is a uh, melanin. I guess he he was trying to look for the classification Indian. So I was like, well, let's take a look at it because I, last time I checked it, I don't think that was on there. But it looks like they added Indian and Mexican. Uh, I wanted to report that those two have been added to it. So it looks like it's had about fifteen, sixteen different classifications. So um, he was looking for Indian. So. And uh, he he found it and clicked on it, and the, the female was white. It was a white female, Indian male. So, and it was a white man. He was asking me 
he was asking me, what what can he, is there anywhere where he can put if he wants to classify himself as Indian? So we seen it on there, so he clicked on Indian. Um, and I had, I said I was going to ask two people. I was going to ask the black supervisor, and I was going to ask my white supervisor, but she's on break this week, so I can't really talk to her right now. Um, the response I got from a black supervisor was something about the state. I said, I said, well, hey, how, how do they get how do they get these racial classifications on here? Because they keep adding these different ones. And, you know, what's the difference between white slash black, black slash white? She says, well, maybe it could mean uh, something about what the state wants put on there. These states wants put on there. And maybe someone might think that want that they're more white and less black and that <laughs> that they're more black than less white. I then mean, I said, I said, now I asked her, does that make sense to you? She says, not really. And that was a short conversation. And um these kind of talks are going on like, you know, the customers aren't really around. It's before they come in there. And it's three black people and at the time we're talking about this. Uh and she's talking about what they're saying when they come in to have these sessions and she's saying that they are, she pointed at the lighter, she pointed at the lighter point of her palm and saying that they usually like to call themselves white. That's what she was signaling, signaling to me. And, and then we kind of got cut off because another customer came in. So it looks like that's what she was trying to communicate to me. Number two was there was a, a white person that came in a couple of days ago and she had this long name and the black female was assisting her with finding a record. And I think it was called Shama Sundari. I can't remember how to spell it, but you know, the black female said, how do you like, what, what does that name even mean? And, and now the white woman says it means blue black with great beautiness. It means blue black with great beautiness. That's the definition of the name, but this is a white person. So I'm wondering, how does she get that name? Um, and that was a name I wanted to, I wanted to share on the, on the line right here. And number three is, uh, there has been, a, um, it was a, uh, an event that happened today at 1 PM and I printed it off of our, uh, off of our site. Whatever the commissioner, the commissioner meeting, and it's something called conflict style strategies, and it was held today, and it looks like some people went to it. Uh, and there's some things very interesting about this because it's a picture that's <laughs> it's a picture with a rock, paper, and scissors on it, like with a cartoon face on it, and it says, "Can't we all just get along?" Now, if anybody on the line heard of that quote. Uh, that comes from, I believe, most famously from, I believe, Rodney King, uh, victim of racism. Like, why would they put this quote on this, like, flyer? And it, it reads, uh, workplace conflict is inevitable. However, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If handled correctly, workplace conflict can lead to better decisions and stronger relationships among coworkers. Unfortunately, too often conflict is not handled correctly, which is where this training comes in. 
This highly interactive session uses uses your results from the Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument to teach participants practical conflict resolution skills that can be applied immediately in or out of the office. And then it reads uh, specifically, participants will learn to one, identify underlying sources of conflict, two, leverage their individual conflict resolution style strengths and how to recognize and overcome their style weaknesses. Three, recognize and effectively apply the five modes of conflict resolution. And four, apply specific conflict resolution tips and techniques to more effectively resolve workplace conflict. And that was a uh, that was a flyer that I had print out a couple of days ago when I got back on the job. And uh, one last thing is that it looks like they're going to have a uh, a diversity and inclusion plan training meeting uh, sometime next week, I think on the 31st. So I've been trying to keep my eye on uh, what's going on around the area. Maybe the warden and maybe some of the other top people might be going to this. And I think they're going to reveal something in the next meeting about it. So, And um, I know they definitely are waiting to see what my reaction is going to be. It looks like that's the vibe that I'm getting. And that's the only thing I have right now. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Wow. They will definitely have that in the newsletter uh, when the diversity and inclusion seminar goes down, probably with pictures of any Negroes in the house in the newsletter. Um, wow, such a, a robust offering on a weekly basis uh, with the racial classifications. That's so important. Uh, again, this is not people, you know, at a Mickey Mouse Club uh, or at a Sunday school. We're just sitting around and making up classifications just for the fun of it. This is at the courthouse. People are coming here to get death certificates and marriage certificates and, you know, important documents that they need to conduct business. And this is what we got on the form. White slash black and then black slash white. You might have come in last week. Indian wasn't on the form. You come in this week. Indian is on the form because the state said so. That is the system of race. I did. I said that at the beginning of the program, there's one race. I said that at the beginning of the program, all that multiracial and everything else is leading you to confusion. I said that with emphasis at the beginning of the broadcast coming up again at the courthouse, no less with this sort of man. She looked you in the face. Seriously, people would like to know if it's more black, more white, just useful to doesn't make logical sense at all, which tells me that white people are very comfortable looking black people in the face and lying. And I mean, just giving total nonsense and having black people have to accept it. And I think that just the system of white supremacy. So many of us, we're not able to tell whites. No, we're afraid to tell whites. No, we're afraid to question or confront them frequently because they they have our lives in their hand. It's not compensatory call in. Forgive the metaphor. Uh, but that is so important to just critically did what you just said make any sense at all nope end of conversation and i still no information about these racial classifications where did they come from who represents the state to make these decisions about now indian is going to be on the sheet this here week 
We don't have any uh, we don't have any seminars about the racial. That would be a question to ask, too. Do they have any training about the racial classifications and how we get all that filled out and how this section gets updated? Like that would be great to inquire about as well. Uh, The. Let's see the portion. That was anecdote number one was about the racial classifications, the diversity meeting or whenever that's coming up next the black female i think it was a black female who pointed to her hand after you had the conversation about the racial classifications not making sense i think you said it was a, a black female or non-white female she pointed to her hand and said that whites they always want to think of themselves as white if i remember correctly was that it okay like that that one was we was talking about the the indian thing of the Indian uh, classification, mm. and she was tr- she was trying to tell me that when the couples that are classified as Indian they come and sit into her office, she says when it gets to the race part, they are class most of them like to classify themselves is, and then by this time she's pointing at the lighter point of her palm on melanated people that palms are lighter, so she was doing that pointing like with her index finger. And saying that they like to say that they're white, but she was like mouthing it, mouthing the syllables and saying that to me. Got it. Okay. I didn't understand. Didn't process it correctly the first time. She was saying that uh, the Indian people, a little less melanin, most of the time they classify as white. And she pointed at the inside of her palm to do so. Yes, sir. Got it. Got it. And I was, I was, I was trying to, like phrase it in a way like, Hey, cause this is, this is important. Like this is maybe the second time a customer has asked me about racial classifications. And uh, I just want to know if we're going to go over anything about this. Uh, would you happen to know anything about it? And she says, well, no, I haven't been informed about anything. And I said, well, I'm going to ask the supervisor when she gets back. <laughs> so, outstanding continue because i mean that is important that's serious you got customers coming in asking questions this is serious form i mean we're not supposed to just throw anything down on the form i mean we're supposed to take this seriously let's get some more and maybe we can get that explained white because somebody might come in and ask about that one day what am i supposed to say i don't know <laughs> like uh yeah give me some I'm, I'm representing the state right when they say the state am i a representative of the state when i'm here giving out these documents and helping people fill out the forms ask questions ask questions ask questions great to do and great to just pick up additional information uh, on the job. That's what I meant to say. Uh, Irie, who called in, she asked the question for our call in Florida, where she was saying that they didn't train her adequately on the job. And she's been having to do a lot of self training. I would ask a lot of questions. And if they are doing what our caller in Florida uh, just said, were they giving you nonsense uh, for answers? Uh, just keep asking different whites at the office and see how much information you could pick up. But I would ask lots of questions. Uh, try to pick out at least two, three questions a day that you want to ask, get information, and just regularly asking questions, asking questions, increasing your knowledge uh, about things that are happening in the workplace. Other folks will be waiting on the update, uh, especially waiting on the uh, diversity seminar. Wow, we exciting. Uh, other folks who doubt if any folks that we missed completely hand up uh, from any folks uh, that we've not heard from at all. 
Greetings, Ivy. Excuse me. Greetings, Gus, and greetings to uh, all the callers and listeners on the line. Gus, is my line coming through clear? Clearly? Yes, ma'am. Okay, because I'm on the rope line, and there's just been a lot of distortion uh, in this line. Um, Codified software developer, not perfect software developer. And um, I think that, you know, it was awesome how you, um, how you bounced back and how you um, regained your composure and, you know, your next opportunity, you made sure that you were codified and you even, you know, you recognized uh, what changes you needed to make um, in your behavior. And I think that's what it's all about because I think that failure is, ine is inevitable, that there's just sometimes where we're just not, no matter what we do, we're not going to get uh, the amount the, the, the amount of rest we need to get every single time. We're just not going to be sharp every single time. Our attitudes are not going to be, we're just not going to be prepared every single time. And the, the, the idea, I think, is to, to minimize those um, situations. And you, you demonstrated just the uh, desire to be that way, to just to minimize these, these situations where the very next time that you had an opportunity to, to change your behavior, you did. And I think that that is just, that's fantastic. And that is um, self-respect. Um, I hope for Drop the Mania that she can ask, ask for uh, training um, since she's not getting any because that is not cool. And, um, you know, to document all that, just the, even in, in any exchanges that she might get in terms of asking for training and even asking for that electronically, like sending an email or something of that nature, because that, that just seems very incorrect that they would expect you to, you know, do all this new stuff and, and not train you properly. For the person who said that they, um, you know, that they can't, they can't see the person um, as a victim who is was victimizing them on the on the job. Um, your, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, because mistreatment hurts, and that's why you can't see him as a victim because you're being mistreated by him, and you are, you know, that hurts you. Um, and and when you're hurt, it also infuriates you. It makes you mad. And so I understand that. However, um, even if he is a, a willing participant. You know, he's still a victim. That's just like if someone had a had a gun to your head and, and they told you to um to to hurt somebody, you may be a willing participant in that, but you're still a victim because you're being made to do something. He may not want to do that, but even if he, he just may be doing it because, you know, he's trying to sur survive and people talk about doing things for jobs and doing things for checks. Well, what that boils down to is doing things for survival because you need money and you need, you need checks to survive so that you can eat, so you can feed yourself, feed your family. And I just actually recently found out, I believe it was 44% of the people who are homeless actually work. Um, and so, you know, black people, we don't collectively, we don't make a living wage, whereas, you know, white people, they do. So even if they're outside in a, in a cardboard box, they have access to $120,000 meaning that, you know, they collectively make that and that's their, that's their, either their net worth or their, their median wealth. Whereas we don't have that for the most part, if we're out on the street, we're just out on the street and we don't have these extra, um, we don't have these extra resources um, like they do. Um, so, you know, for this person who is, um, 
mistreating you. And I think that, you know, Gus, he, he gave some, some great, you know, suggestions about, you know, just figure out how to, how to navigate that and how to stop the mistreatment. But he is definitely a victim, um, willing not, because ultimately what he's doing is he's complying with terrorists who know that, you know, these, these people, they're not playing out here. They're, they're holding a job to his head, which is the same thing as holding a gun to his head because they're saying either you're going to live or die. And if you have a job, that determines whether or not um, you're going to live or die. And I just wanted to quickly ask to the firefighter and anyone else who would be willing to take this position, because most people are not, which is that if you don't want to, because this is the part I haven't figured out, I don't, you know, touch white people, but in certain situations, I will because I'm afraid. And what I mean by that is like, um, for an example, when he said when he was going to get his, his car serviced, I believe it was in a situation like that, they could do something to your car and, you know, the firefighter doesn't seem to be worried about that. In other situations where I would um, oblige in that, I would oblige that is when I'm, when I'm um, applying for a job and the, the person who, who will be in charge of hiring me may want to shake my hand, I would be afraid to, to not shake their hand because I would be afraid that I wouldn't um, get the job. Um, and so people who are, I guess, courageous enough to deny, you know, handshaking in those situations, what would you say to tell them that you don't want to shake hands and, and still be able to maybe get what you want? Because I, I would love to figure that out because I would love to just not touch white people under any circumstances. And that's all I had. If I didn't greet everyone, greetings, Gus, greetings to everyone on the line. Thank you, everyone. And thanks, Gus. I'll mute my line. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Um, are there any callers? I will get retired firefighters. He can answer your question. And he had a follow up. Uh, just let me check. Are there any callers that we missed totally? Like anybody that has a hand up that we have not heard from at all? All right. I will assume we nabbed everyone. Uh, retired firefighter, if you wanted to answer uh, Ivy's question and additional commentary you wanted to share, proceed. Wow. That's 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 a, a fate uh, that I uh, I was actually on another call. And, and the only part I got of Ivy was the very last probably about three or four words that she said. Uh, so somebody needs to repeat what the, what was the question she was talking about when you shared about being at the hospital or at the um when you were getting your car serviced and you said hey it's just business i'm not you know here for a handshake and all that touching you know just here to get my car serviced and she said that <clears throat> she would prefer not to touch whites at all but she is fearful in certain situations okay. Uh, about touching, like if it was a job, she would think she wouldn't get the job, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, what would you suggest uh, to deal with, hey, I don't, I don't want to be touched in this situation and getting to that where you can adapt that as a part of your code, even overcoming fear that there might be some retaliation for that stance? Yes, uh, you you know you know uh, Ivy and anybody else who wants to be with me, it's 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 kind of like it's it's almost like instinct, in in a sense, it's almost like instinct. I, I'm not I'm not a I'm I'm like I said before by nature itself, I'm not a touchy feely type of person. Uh, I, I I keep my distance from people, even even non-white black people. Uh, and and Ivy may not have heard it. I I, I mentioned you know. 
since I uh, did mention about uh, my uh, my 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 mother, uh, she would say that that uh, you know the the other the other siblings, you know, they would come right up to her, you know, to to get a hug and you know things of that nature. And, and I wasn't the type of person she would have to come to me. And of course, you know, with with, with her, it was it was acceptable. You know, as far as that can on my behalf, that sort of thing. But that's just that was just my nature. I, I, it's hard for me to really explain that. I, I don't. I don't. It's nothing that I know of that was in my background history that, from a psychological standpoint, would make me not want to do it. But that's just the way I am. And uh, but in in some case, I, I can I can almost sense that whatever it is, it's it's not really sincere. And, and I, I even I even had that way, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm around young people all the time and and <laughs> you around these teenage boys, they, they'd be wanting to shake your hand every five minutes. And, and, and I, I say it in, with them. I say it in a in a in a in a, a funny type of way, but they know they know I, I really be coach be meaning what he what he's saying. Hey, look, stop all that handshaking, man. I, did I just say hello to you five minutes ago? You know, that's what I say, you know, that's with, with them. But, but, uh, in, in the case, in, a, in when you're in a business situation and, and it's, and it's just pure, it's just pure business. It's not like, it's not like it's with another non-white person that, that may be a stranger, but at the same time, you know, by, by you investing into that person, by willing to, to uh, to uh, recruit their 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 entrepreneurship, and, and in turn, they know that that because they have this business and they're benefiting from other black people, that sort of thing. You probably wouldn't mind shaking that person's hand, but I mean, just total strange white person and whatnot. And, and you you don't have dis you you have you have proper distance away from them, and they want to come up to you, and they, you just know it's phony. So what I said to the guy, you know, I, I, look, I just, I just want business. I, I, I don't want to. I, I, I just say it in a nasty way of mean way. I just, I just want, I just want, you know, business. You know, the, the hurry up and, and and get on. I said something. I can't remember exactly what I said, but that's kind of like what I, what it was, what you know, said to him. And and uh, uh, I figured he understood. He he didn't show any anger. I put it not not visibly anyway. You know, as far as that concerned, because one thing, one thing I I basically rely on that white people are not ignorant to our relationship between ourselves as non-white people and white people on this planet. They're they're not ignorant to it. They know they know that there's a lot of hostility, and they know primarily they've been at the base of it. And, and and so when when a when a non-white person states that hey I I I know that you're in charge and and you are you are a product of of that 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 has uh, uh, more uh, uh, control in this environment than I do but I and I have to come to you so let's just let's just get it over with you know type of thing you know we don't need to be doing all of this or that I. I, I I would dare say, I put it with me personally, I, I know they understand. And hopefully I made some sense out of that. Hopefully I answered your question, ma'am. <laughs> that, that was it? All oh, right on. She said that. Okay. 
that took care of it. Uh, okay. I think I think we even got <clears throat> Irie in Louisiana, who I think was the one who mentioned about not being trained correctly. But I think we even got Irie uh, in Louisiana back with us as well. Did you want to make sure you got your question asked uh, to our caller in Florida? Let me see. Switchboard is not opening her line correctly. We'll see if we can hopefully get it in the next uh, few seconds because I did want to make sure she if we did not, if I didn't remember the the question uh, correctly uh, that she was trying to pose to the caller in Florida, uh, I'll make sure we get her in. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, yes, Irene. Hello? Yes, ma'am. Hello, I left um, and I'm back. I'm sorry about that. Um, actually, I tuned back in and I heard the question that Ivy had correct about not touching. Um, what I would suggest um, is lead, lead the dialogue of the conversation with nonverbal cues that let the person know I'm not about to shake your hand. Um, one thing I noticed, like I, I do watch a, a, a good bit of um, like Korean and Japanese uh, TV shows. And what I notice is when they don't, especially when they don't know the person, they make sure all they do is bow. They show the respect, but they, you know, traditionally just bow to show I want to respect you at a distance. So if you kind of gesture to the person when you're um, encountering them, but make sure that you keep your hands like clasped, for instance, and then make sure you end with that and also maybe even back away a little bit when you're about to disengage from the conversation that'll also let the person know, hey, I'm not about to shake your hand or hug you or anything else. And then um, what happened to, not to me, but I witnessed this personally, was someone attempted to shake a white person's hand. And that white person said, I don't shake hands. So that is also an alternative. You could just be frank and say, I don't shake hands and, and, and let that be it. And, you know, they'll just go forth you know, one way or another. Did you have a question for the caller in Florida? Just making sure I didn't get confused about the uh, Is, the white woman at the courthouse. Uh, oh uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have a question. I just wanted to make sure I I, I stated to him as he was listening to ask her why are you asking me this to to throw that back on her and and, and put some shame on her so she knows not to ask him you know, sexual questions like that ever again. Got it. Got it. I thought, I thought I was remembering that's the way you were saying it was more kind of a hypothetical in terms of what your suggestion would be on uh, dealing with that. I guess I would add, I think in a system of white supremacy, because of the system of white supremacy, a white woman or a white man, it's going to be a very different response if they say, oh, I don't shake hands, as opposed to a nigger saying, oh, I don't shake hands. I think that's a that's a very different uh, response, a very different act uh, because of the system, unless I'm misjudging. Uh, did any any final thoughts last 60 seconds before we conclude? Anything else folks need to get in before we wrap things up? Caller in Florida. Uh, oh, uh, let's see. Oh, you can right on. Uh, Caller in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Uh, real quick, 
Um, I just have an update about my LinkedIn situation in which uh, people from my job keep on trying to link in with me. Uh, to this week, I have had at least three people from the current position, uh, from the current company that I'm working for, try to link in with me. And uh, one person who just recently left for another job tried to link in with me. So I'm just watching that um, that activity. Uh, it's getting very interesting. Just counting how many people are trying to get to my LinkedIn profile, I think I'm going to have to uh, come up with some sort of codified response when people start asking me why I'm not connecting with them on LinkedIn. Uh, that's all I had. I'll meet my line. Another form of electronic surveillance, perhaps. Uh, caller in Florida. Uh, yes, sir, Jax. I, I was just going to just briefly comment and say that uh, I did get the conversation on um, recording. I was going to try to uh, piece it up as best as I can if you wanted to um, hear a, a, a portion of it because it was a part that came out the best of it when uh, my supervisor had asked me about did I think it was intentional that the warden was um, bringing the truck back late and that's when I went off to talk about the word fair uh, because the the white man he was sitting across the desk and then that's when I had brought that up about uh, whites having a better advantage and I went into talking about fair and then he was just saying he didn't know anything about that so I was going to um, work on that recording if you wanted to hear that absolutely that's treasure counter racist treasure absolutely that would be great to hear thank you sir absolutely uh with that uh that is our three hours hmm. getting some echo i reckon if you are on speakerphone that would oh i don't hear anymore great 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 anywho uh we should be here tomorrow a little sad end of invisible man ralph ellison my favorite book uh but it has been a hoot uh the last few weeks will wrap up tomorrow i was able to write dr kevorkian uh several of the questions that listeners uh presented or even question that i had uh and he gave uh follow-up so i'll read some of his thoughts uh listeners wrote in some final thoughts for the book but that'll be tomorrow 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific last session of invisible man uh compensatory call-in will be here on uh saturday 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific uh we will review what's gone down last seven days bill cosby recommended that he be branded a sexually violent predator anywho uh, we will call that a broadcast. Uh, thanks to everyone for participating. If you wrote in or called in, people listening to the archives, I hope it was worthy of your time and energy. It is summertime. It's been spectacular. Go out, frolic, have fun, soak in the vitamin D. But we are in a system of white supremacy. You still want to be codified. Uh, as such, sobriety would still be best under the system of white supremacy. Dr. Welsing, many of the folks that we esteem, they would strongly encourage that we remain sober. Oof, black female, I was chatting it up with today. What did she say? When I see black people 
who are drinking high. I already know we are not going to be homies because I am not going to be doing any hanging out with people. And that's how they're spending their time. I said, wow, that's what we need more of. Sobriety would be best, especially if you're going to be out and about in a vehicle, if you're going to the beach or whatever your vacation plans happen to be uh, for the summertime. I would encourage being sober and buckled up if you're going to be behind the wheel or if you're going to be a passenger. Uh, race soldiers, they certainly do not make uh, vacations in the summertime. Badge or no. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.